Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The countdown to college football is on. Three weeks from tomorrow, Utah and Weber State kick it off. And they actually aren't the first to open the season. There's a few of those week zero games. So we're getting really close to the start of things here. The uh, preseason poll is out for the coaches poll. And it's who you expect at the top. Alabama 1, Clemson 2, Oklahoma 3, Ohio State 4. So predictable. <laughs> so unbelievably, unbearably predictable. For the Pac-12, for the Pac-12, Oregon at number 12 is the highest ranked Pac-12 team. USC at 14, Washington at 21. Uh, others receiving votes, the first three teams out of the poll are Utah, Northwestern, and Arizona State. So two of the three are Pac-12 teams. So very close to having fourth and fifth teams ranked. And the next three are Auburn, Liberty, and BYU. So for the Cougars, beat Arizona, and you should be playing Utah for a spot in the top 25. Just start 2-0. And, and, then, uh, well, and then you get Arizona State, so... It's on. BYU, you got a chance to vault right in there. All right, we'll have more on this coming up later. We're going to do a little, uh, talk a little basketball right now. One of the new jazz men who uh, had his press conference on Monday is Eric Pascal. He was childhood friend, played AAU ball with Donovan Mitchell, went to the Warriors, made the all-rookie team, but the Warriors uh, traded his rather minuscule salary, but with the repeater luxury tax, it was going to cost him like $12 million to keep him. So for a protected second-round pick, how about that? A protected second-round pick. The Jazz get Donovan Mitchell's childhood friend. Here he is, and he spent a little time around the team and tell you all about it. Here he is with the media on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. I want to start at the very beginning and just kind of ask you about that experience being on the city AAU team with Donovan back when you were, what was it, 13, 14 years old, and kind of what that experience was like and, and kind of how you guys built a connection then. Uh, I would say we built the connection – Strictly because, I mean, we we grew up probably 500 feet away from each other and went to the same church. And then when we started actually playing AU together, I walked into a AU tryout and he was there. And we're some, from the same area. So, again, like being being able to play with him now is a great experience. I mean, we our families put a lot into each other. I mean, my, my dad used to drive him down. His his parents used to drive me down. So it's like we, we went through this together. And now that we're both here, it's a it's a big blessing. So that's how that connection has been built. All right. Next up, Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Eric, um, I'm just wondering kind of what the reaction between the two of you were when you found out that you were going to be signing with the Jazz did you, the, who called who, what was that conversation like between you and Donovan? Uh, I mean, we were both pretty excited. I mean, uh, it's funny cause we, we have the same agent. So, uh, that's, that's part of the connection too, is just, I, I signed with his agent and, uh, Ty's done a good job with the both of us. I feel like, so, um, again, he, he called me and said, it's, it's you're getting traded to the jazz and we're both pretty happy. So. Ryan Miller KSL next. Hey, Eric, could you kind of just take us through um, how you learned about the trade and kind of what your initial thoughts were about the team fit? Um, I learned it. I learned about it slowly. I mean, uh, obviously there was the rumor going out, but I didn't know uh, if it was really going to happen. And then uh, again, I my agent called me and was like, look, we, you about to get traded. So 
uh, I was pretty happy. Um, I feel like I'll fit. Uh, I've had a few good conversations with uh, Coach Snyder. So um, I feel like uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work, and I'm, I'm excited for the new start. Jim Conlon, RCB Radio Sport out of Ireland. Uh, hi, Eric. Uh, Eric, you go from the Golden State Warriors where there was plenty of competition in a locker room with Steph and Draymond. You go now to the Utah Jazz and uh, on a day where Rudy Gay, Hassan Whiteside and obviously Mike Conley the same day are signing on for the Jazz. It's competition at another level again. Do you feel really motivated? Uh, yeah. I mean, again, uh, in my career, nothing's. I would say nothing's been easy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for a new, new start and uh, excited to compete uh, with those guys. So, again, it's, it's a journey, and uh, I'm pretty excited to just be part of the Jazz organization. Tony Jones, The Athletic. Eric, you had a, um, you know, a terrific rookie season, obviously all rookie, and, you know, you had some setbacks um, last, last season. What have you learned, good and bad, from each of the experience? Because your two NBA seasons have both been kind of, I don't want to say polar opposites of each other, but they've kind of gone differently. Uh, you got to just uh, work every year. I mean, again, it's, it's all part of the journey. It's all part of what um, the NBA is about. You have to keep uh, solidifying yourself in this league and keep making sure that you are um, – playing. So again, uh, you just got to keep working and keep uh, solidifying yourself every year. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. Eric, what do you know about Utah? What's Donovan told you about the team and, and kind of what do you expect in that sense? Uh, I would say uh, be ready to shoot a lot of threes. Uh, I, get, I already know they, uh, they put them up. So I'm excited and uh, I've been working on my three all summer. So uh, all I know is you you have to be ready to play uh, shoot threes, but it also kind of reminds me of uh, me and my college days of Villanova. I mean, Coach Wright used to teach us catch the shoot, and the year we won the championship, I think we set like the the record for the most threes like in an NCAA season. So um, I'm pretty excited, and I'm pretty uh, again. I, I know what I'm getting into, and I'm very excited to be a part of it. Nio Campbell, UtahJazz.com. Hey, Eric. Um, welcome. Uh, you've mentioned a lot about, you know, just being excited to come out here, but I really want to know what excites you the most. Is it the relationships? Is it uh, the fan base or just kind of what your role will be? What excites you the most? Uh, probably just the start of a new, you know what I'm saying, new journey. I mean, again, everybody has their journey and uh, the fact that I get to get a fresh start with a new team is uh, it's a great feeling. So that I feel like that's something I'm very uh, excited about. All right, we have a follow-up from Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Eric, I presume Quinn's talked to you. What was that kind of conversation like? What did he tell you and kind of what do you envision your role will be on next year's team? Uh, we talked a lot. I mean, uh, I'm not 100% sure, but uh, we just had great conversations. Just He's trying to just get to know me and, uh, again, just having non-basketball conversations just to build a relationship. All right, and another follow-up from Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Eric, obviously, uh, like Tony said, you had a great rookie season and then things seemed to teeter off a little bit last season. Where were, how do you view last season kind of in the realm of your development and as you're progressing? Um, again, probably something that's just like nothing's going to be easy. I mean, 
there's going to be setbacks. You can't just have a perfect career. And again, you're going to go through obstacles. So that's something that I, uh, I've learned from it. And I just going to continue to learn from. Ryan McDonald, Deseret News. Eric, this might be common knowledge, but I don't know for sure. And I just want to clarify. So you and Donovan, were you guys friends before the AAU stuff? Like when you were younger than 13, 14 or is that yeah, when it like, started? No, like I, I've known Don since I was probably like six, seven. Like he grew up right down the street and I've known him. We went to the same church and I, we've been playing AAU since we were eight together okay. with Riverside Church. So, I mean, our Riverside Church team, it was me, him, uh, Ty Jerome, who played for, who plays for the Thunder now. So, and his, Ty Jerome's dad was the coach. So, me and Don have known each other for pretty much our whole lives. Gotcha. Thanks. Uh, ben Anderson, KSL Sports. Eric, I know in Golden State, uh, Steve liked to play a lot of small lineups and got used to playing Draymond at the five. Jazz needs some more positional versatility. So how many positions are you comfortable playing on the floor? Uh, I mean, whatever puts me on the floor, to be real. I mean, uh, I'll try to adjust that however I can. Uh, probably three positions for sure. But, again, you just I'm just trying to fit in and find way on the floor. So every way I could do that, uh, I'll, I'll play that position. All right. We have a follow-up from Jim Conlon out of Ireland. Uh, hi, Eric. I'm just wondering, uh, you went in 2019 in the 41st pick of the NBA draft, and do you feel motivated by that? Do you feel that you should have gone a lot higher up the draft class? Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it, not really. I mean, again, you got you to gotta still play, and that's where you, no matter where you get drafted, you still got to produce somehow and find a way on the floor. I mean, Jokic was drafted 41st as well. So it's like, it doesn't, doesn't really bother me. You got to find a way on the floor and you got to play. So it doesn't, doesn't really bother me at all. There's one of the new jazz man, Eric Pascal. When we come back, got more for you. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. Time to talk with Jeff Garcia about Rudy Gay, new jazz man. Jeff Covers the Spurs, digital journalist for KNS5 and host of Locked On Sports. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. How y'all doing? Well, how well Jazz fans are doing depends on how well the team is doing. So I guess really it comes down to how how big an impact is Rudy Gay going to have? How much does he have left in the tank? What do you think of the Jazz getting him? Uh, you know, you I think the Jazz are getting a very uh, productive player that is going to provide some punch off that bench or whatever role he's going to get. You look at what he did in San Antonio. It wasn't too shabby at all in his time with uh, the Silver and Black. Close to about 12 points per game, 5.6 rebounds. 
uh, in his first stint. And what I liked about him, though, was the fact that, at least in San Antonio, he was willing to adjust his role. And I think that's what you're going to get in Utah. I'll give you an example. And we came to San Antonio, you know, the Spurs, you know, they were still kind of up there. They weren't in the complete rebuild yet. You know, it was getting to that point. But when the Kawhi Leonard, you know, debacle happened in San Antonio, you saw Gay transform himself from what was supposed to be, you know, a key player moving forward in the Spurs' push for a playoff run into a mentor. And um, he, he embraced it. And he decided to take a backseat to the young guys but still was able to provide a punch off that bench. He, uh, in the play-in tournament last season, uh, he was the one that led the Spurs in scoring. It wasn't the young guys. It wasn't DeJounte Murray or DeMar DeRozan. It was Rudy Gay. So in a crunch time, very all-or-nothing game, like the play-in game was for Memphis, for San Antonio, he's delivered. And I think that's exactly what the uh, Jazz are going to get. A pro, a guy who's been there, done that, who understands that, yeah, okay, he's not maybe Sacramento Kings' Rudy Gay or Memphis Grizzlies' Rudy Gay, but he's still going to provide uh, Utah with offense and defense. He played the five a few times in San Antonio, which is good. Um, you know, he, he accepted it, I mean, undersized five, but should that be a need in Utah, he can play it, gentlemen. So what I find interesting, three-point shooting, as you know, has really taken over the league. It's so dominant, and particularly with the Jazz, yeah. they've got no problem. In fact, encourage guys to take it. And so he starts off in 2017, 18, 31 years of age, uh, first year with the Spurs, I think it was. He goes 30, uh, 31% from three. Then the next year he goes 40%. Then the third year he's back down to 33%. And then last year he bumps it back up to 38%. That's a wide <laughs> yeah. variance there. It's like every other year he's pretty good. Uh, what do you attribute that to, and is there any concern yeah. there? Uh, no, I don't think there's any concern. I think I attribute that up and down thing just simply because of the makeup of the team. You know, it goes from, you know, heavy Kawhi Leonard when he was with him, you know, uh, and, you know, maybe shots are not going to him to, okay, you know, we're in this rebuild mode. You know, you hear some more shots for you, uh, Rudy Gay. You know, we need this, you know, and here you go. And then last season, you know, he was, you know, for the Spurs standards, one of the better shooting uh, three-point shooters for uh, the team. Spurs were dead last, and this is just an attempt, an attempt, just attempts, gentlemen. Uh, three-point shots, they were just dead last, and the Spurs were just, yeah, they were not the greatest one. Nobody was inviting the Spurs to the three-point shootout, I can tell you that much. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, I think he fell victim to that. You also look at Popovich. You know, it's, it's funny to see him, how he evolves. He literally went, not too long ago, maybe about two, three years ago, just, just hating the three-point shot to now needing it um, and, and admitting it, like, yeah, you know, NBA now is, you know, live and die by that three. And, um, and I think also that too had to do with just his role. He was, he was he, you know, sometimes was given minutes, but then other times it wasn't because they wanted to give it uh, to the young guys that were going to eventually take the keys for San Antonio, as we'll see next season. You know, the fact there was a pandemic season, you know, that cut into his shots, and then you know, fast forward to that bubble season, you know, out in Orlando, you know, again, the, guy, the young guys are put front and center. And I think that has a lot to do with his erratic shooting, uh, just because the Spurs are in flux and it impacted him. So, you know, not, you know for what he did in San Antonio, not bad. He, coming off that, uh, that Achilles injury that he, he suffered, you know, resurrected his career in San Antonio when many thought it was all but done after that devastating injury. And look, he's coming from a system that is well-established, 
there's ties to Utah and San Antonio. There's Quinn Snyder, Popovich. Now, Snyder was the Austin Spurs coach for a long time. He understands that Spurs system. And now Snyder's bringing in a guy who lived it for X amount of seasons in San Antonio, and that's really going to be a nice injection of professionalism, what it takes to be a winning team, uh, and, and then some, because Jazz are already a winning team. They're, they're great. But now you throw in a guy who, who lived, you know, the Popovich last nighter, you know, vibe, uh, you know, that, that, that game plan, I think it's going to bode well for Utah. And I think at the end of the day, next season, people are going to look back and look at that really game pickup and say, you know what, that was such a slick pickup by the Jazz. So the problem for the Jazz against the Clippers at the end of the series, they just couldn't stay in front of them. Rudy Gay yeah. talked about being able to defend positions. How many def- how many positions can he defend? How many guys can yeah. he stay in front of? I think he could go from the the three to five position. You know, and those are probably the best ones at five. You know, I mean, he's going to be undersized, but again, in San Antonio, he was forced to do it. Because of the fact that the Spurs simply didn't have that much depth at the five spot, it was just Yakupertal, and that was pretty much it. Because after the LMA, Lamarcus Aldridge, you know, uh, left San Antonio, they became very thin in that department. It was just Pirtle, uh undersized Drew Eubanks, and an unproven uh, young guy, Lucas Omanich. and that was it. So the Spurs were forced to go to Gay a lot at that position. So he definitely can play it and he'll defend it to the best of his ability. And of course, you know, the three and the four spot, you know, natural, you know, I think he's, he's capable of doing that. You know, look, you're, you, you're learning how to play defense from a defensive minded coach like Greg Popovich. That is going to translate well into uh, Utah. Pop has taken guys that normally don't have the reputation of being a good defender and made them decent, you know, <laughs> at least decent to get to that level. There's Brent Forbes, you know, not the greatest defender, but in his time in San Antonio, he made him decent. Same thing with DeMar DeRozan, you know, came into San Antonio with not that reputation, but made him a decent defender. So you're going to translate that from the Popovich system into the Quinn Snyder system. Uh, yeah, between the three and the five, I think you're all going to be all right. How much you think that he's going to be better or fit in well simply because the talent around him yeah. is better than what the Spurs can offer at this time? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's going to be the wild card for uh, Rudy Gay. I think you're going to see him perhaps produce more uh, and be more of an impact player than he was in San Antonio. As I mentioned earlier, San Antonio was, is in transition, and the Spurs you know, used him for that transition, and that was being the mentor. You know, he didn't, I'm, I'm pretty sure he didn't come into San Antonio years ago signing with them to think, I'm going to be a mentor at the end of my stay here. No, he was to be an impact player. So that is going to revive him. Uh, you know, he's surrounded by, you know, great players from Donovan Mitchell, that drive and kick out. I think it's going to be great for him. You have a, a, a guy that can still attack the rim. Uh, he, last season in San Antonio wasn't, you know, too surprising to see him just light up the scoreboard and bring the people off their seats with some highlight dunks and great defensive stops. I, I really believe that culture in Utah of winning and getting to the promised land, that being the last team standing, is going to do well for him. Um, you know, that's the last thing that's missing on his resume. He's been an all-star. He's got he's been scoring left and right since he entered the NBA. So that's the last thing on him, and I think that's going to rejuvenate him and make a chase for the uh, NBA uh, title 
And, yeah, I mean, what better way to do that than a, than a team like Utah that's ready-made for a deep push into the postseason? Jeff Garcia joining us, works for KNS5 and host of Locked on Spurs, talking about Rudy Gay, who's been in San Antonio for the past uh, four seasons, now moving to the Utah Jazz. Uh, he's moving on a three-year deal. So if they win a championship or one, no one cares if he's overpaid years two and three. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. just kind of based on his career arc, I realized, you know, in your mid-30s, father time can catch you at any time. But what would you think of the length of the deal? Uh, you know... I, I thought it was a little long. I, I thought it'd be at two, two at max, uh, but three, going into, well, uh, I guess, quote-unquote, his prime. You know, you never know. You know, these players nowadays, technology and medicine extend their primes. But you, know, you factor in his age, you factor in that he's not that explosive player as we saw pre-injury. And I thought it was a little too long. I, I think I would have gone with maybe a two-plus team option, maybe. I think that would have been the smarter uh, route to go. But hey, look, you know, you know, worst case scenario, worst worst case scenario, you know, if there's a deal to be made, you have a guy, a veteran uh, that you can move. It sounds like a team friendly deal as far as um, cap space. You know, they didn't break the bank on him, so that's good. And all in all, I think um, I really believe that Rudy Gay with Utah is going to be one of those under the radar moves. I really believe that. You know, he's going to be surrounded by that, that winning culture, as I mentioned. You know, the, the Quinn Snyder, Popovich there, it's going to be seamless. And I think it'll be money well spent for Utah because last season you saw sometimes they struggled. And um, whether it be inexperienced or just young, you know, what have you. But you pair him there with Mitchell. You pair him there with Gobert. Now Gobert has a legit 3-4 guy he can just go to, an athletic one, at least at his age, quote-unquote, you know, at 30-plus that can really help them in the paint offensively. So all in all, good move by Utah. Deal was a little too long, but I, I think it'll pan out. One of the uh, as- aspects of a Quinn Snyder's offense, you know, we talked about the three and shooting it, but the ball's got to move, and it can't stick. You don't have a lot of individual yeah. dribbling. Mitchell does it to an extent. Jordan Clarkson does it probably more to an extent. But other than that, the ball is constantly moving. How's Gay's ability to anticipate the pass and the ability yeah. to make the pass? Absolutely. I think it's, a, it's a top-notch. You, know, you, you look at what he uh, had to deal with in San Antonio. Uh, up and coming guard, Jonte Murray, you know, pinpoint passing to Martin Rosen. You know, he was the leading uh, facilitator for San Antonio last season. Uh, so you look at that, you know, always uh, head on a swivel, ready to catch. And he's a pro, you know, he, he's been there, done that. He, he exactly knows to anticipate passes, you know, for, uh, out of the passing lanes. And he's going to get that, whether it be from Clarkson or, or, or Mitchell or Conley. You know, I, I think that will mesh well. And I think the Utah Jazz fans have nothing to worry about when it comes to that aspect of his game. Now, you know, you, you know, again, it could be a product of the fact that the Spurs were simply in transition. But, you know, last season in San Antonio, there was some erratic play. There was, you know, sometimes he looked like, great, you know, he could be the next six-man of, of the year award winner off coming off that bench for San Antonio. But... At the same time, he was also injected into the starting lineup a few times last season for the uh, Spurs. So, you know, that just simply could be, you know, lineup shuffling. Could attest why he was a little inconsistent at times. But, look, you know, despite the fact the Spurs had a lot of young guys and their youth movement is now officially on, even though it was started last season, Spurs fans, um, you know, were at times were crying um, 
bad tears because they did not want to see him on the court. They wanted the young guys to get the run, but he got that run last year. So he's not coming in rusty. He's not coming in, you know, barely played any games. He got a good chunk of games under his belt last season, despite the fact that the Spurs were in rebuild mode. So you couple that with the fact that he's likely going to see a spike in minutes, more playing time off that bench for Quinn. Uh, yeah, I mean, great, great, great signing. I think Jazz fans will be excited for him. So with the Spurs being in full rebuild mode, as you say, and obviously they are, they've got Greg Popovich at 72 years of age. When is he going to step aside and let Becky Hammond be the coach? You know, that is a million-dollar question right now uh, in San Antonio and pretty much throughout the NBA. You know, what is next for Pop? You know, he just capped off the missing piece to his resume, which is the Olympic gold. So that's a big check mark. You know, he's done everything you can imagine in the NBA level and even international level. We look at his influence with international coaches. So it's like, what next, Pop? Not many uh, coaches last past 70. Um, I think Jerry Sloan was the last one to really push uh, kind of a 70 push into the 70s before he called it a day. You, you, know, you look at the franchise history, and sure, losing Kawhi Leonard, losing David Robinson in retirement, and, and, and Timmy and Manu and Tony, that hurts. But I think. When Pop does call it a date, that is going to be a real big hit to the franchise um, because who fills in those shoes? Do they stay in-house and you know, promote Becky, you know, which seems to be the logical choice? Or did they go out of house, out of the family, and bring somebody in? My point is, is that there's going to be a big regime change as far as that sideline patrolling is concerned. It's starting with the roster. I mean, I mean, all signs are pointing they're in a rebuild mode when you draft Josh Primo at number 12 when leaving everybody's mouth and jaw just drop as why, and, well, then you find out because they are in rebuild mode. And you look at Popovich and you think, you got, this got to be it. Either it's this season or next season. Look, I mean, he, he, you know, he still has left, plenty left in the tank physically. I don't know if you all saw the video of Draymond Green shot after they won gold. He was showing Draymond how to lock up defensively in the hotel, which is yeah. hilarious if you have not seen it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just think like, he probably doesn't want to leave the, the Spurs family until he feels it's ready. But with them in full-on rebuild youth moving mode, you know, how much more does he have? Does it give it one more year, which would be this upcoming year? Would I be surprised if before the start of the season he announces this is it for him or, you know, one more season and we're done, or no more. I did my Olympics, and you know, good luck to the next guy or girl. I would not be surprised, but one thing's for sure: they're not going to usher him out. Well, uh, you know, prematurely, they'll go when Pop says he's ready to go. And from the looks of it, it looks like maybe he has one more season in him. But you look at what he said so far. He said that he will leave when Tim Duncan exits. That didn't happen. He said that he will leave when his big three, got, uh, you know, all retired. That didn't happen. He said that he will leave to honor LaMarcus Aldridge's time with him when he signed with San Antonio. That didn't happen because LMA is no longer a spur. So you see a pattern here. He's just not ready to let it go and would not be surprised if he comes back and says, yeah, I'm going to give it one more year. Well, Jeff, we appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on the air with us and uh, telling folks about Rudy Gay. Yes, sir. Anytime. Thank you very much. There's Jeff Garcia, San Antonio Spurs digital journalist for KNS 5 and host of Locked on Spurs. When we come back, what is going on at Arizona State University? First, the tight ends coach suspended. Then two more coaches sidelined. 
three coaches out, how much is it going to impact this year's team? How much is it going to impact recruiting? When you get to signing day in December, how big a setback is this going to be for the Sun Devils? We'll talk with Doug Haller, Arizona State writer for The Athletic. He joins PKNI next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it is time to welcome in Doug Haller, Arizona State writer for The Athletic. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Doug, good morning. Good morning. How are you? We're doing well. How good a morning is it for Arizona State football? How are they handling the, uh, the headlines that started with a dribble and are picking up speed? Um, well, I mean, publicly they're, you know, saying business as usual. I mean, we haven't had a chance to, to talk with them since, uh, the news that they had placed two more assistant coaches on leave. Uh, but, you know, at Pac-12 Media Day, at the first day of practice, Herm Edwards was asked specifically about, you know, whether this could become a distraction. And he said no. Uh, but it is getting harder to believe that because now they're down three assistant coaches, um, just with all the maneuvering that they're doing to fill those spots, that, that affects four position groups, uh, about 40 players. And, you know, and, and people have told me, like, well, players don't care. You know, all they want to do is, is go out there and, and compete. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, you know, they're, they're probably the closest people they are to in the program are their position coach. And, you know, a lot of times those guys recruited them. Uh, and now you bring someone else in. And even if they've been, uh, you know, in the meetings and all that, it's, a different person it's different language uh, you know and it takes a, it's a different relationship it takes some adjustment so um not ideal to be you know three weeks before the home opener and, and having lost 30 percent of your staff for sure so as i understand all this stuff that has gone on is basically somebody ratted them out and i know you don't want to say but the idea being the the coach who didn't get the o-line job and so forth and so you got all that so the thing that I haven't been able to figure it out is how much did Herm Edwards know? Well, for your first point, uh, you know, I know a lot of the, the, the fan speculation has pointed at Kevin Moai, the coach who didn't get the offensive line job. I'm not, I'm not positive that that's the case. Um, you know, Kevin and Herm go back, you know, years. They yeah. played, Herm coached him with the Jets. And uh, so, you know, I'm not sure about that. Um, how much did Herm know? Uh, you know, based on my reporting, um, you know, and I'm, it comes down to who you trust in the situation because uh, you talk to a lot of people, and sometimes you find out that the people you're talking to are just, you know, they're just repeating things that they heard from someone else who heard them from someone else. <laughs> but uh, I have heard that, you know, Herm was, uh, I have been told by people that I, tr- that I trust that, um, you know, he was aware that they were having some uh, prospects on campus during the non-contact COVID period. Uh, I don't know how many. Uh, I don't know if it's three, four, five. I don't know if it's uh, a dozen or more. 
Um, but, I mean, it, it does seem like that Herm kind of delegated a lot of his recruiting duties to the recruiting coordinator, Antonio Pierce, um, and then just kind of, uh, you know, was ready that when Antonio needed him to talk to somebody that, you know, based on what I've been told, uh, that that was the case. Now, it's only one side of the story. Uh, Arizona State has not uh, responded publicly, not talked publicly, publicly, and, you know, just as a reminder, these things are just allegations, and, uh, you know, the NCAA will have to prove them uh, before, NC, before Arizona State might get punished for them. So while obviously a lot of the impact people are wondering about is the impact on this year, how much is this going to impact recruiting going forward? I mean, this is three guys off the recruiting trail who all have high schools assigned to them in-state, although they don't get that many in-state guys, but they're also presumably taking trips when the NCAA allows it to uh, Southern California and to Texas and wherever else they're trying to recruit guys. It seems like losing three assistants on the recruiting trail is a massive hit. Yeah, and that's the big thing. Uh, you know, Arizona State has a lot of talent, a lot of start returning uh, starters in place for this year. But you know, a lot of times these things really don't impact the program significantly until later. Um, you know, Air- Herm Edwards made some coaching changes uh, a couple years ago, and what he did is he got rid of three guys and he really went younger. He hired three young kids. Well, I don't want to say kids. Three young men, um, all under the age of thirty. And the main reason was, uh, you know, a lot of these guys didn't have really any recruiting experience. I'm sorry, uh, coaching experience. And the main reason was for recruiting. And it worked. I mean, these three guys, Chris Hawkins, Prince Gill, and Adam Brenneman, the three guys on leave were, uh, you know, they're, they're three main recruiters. I mean, they're related to kids really well. Um, you know, Chris Hawkins, if you use the rankings uh, used by 24-7 Sports, is one of the best recruiters in the Pac-12. Um, he and Prentice Gill, um, you know, teamed up to bring in uh, their top recruit of their 2022 class. You know, who hasn't signed yet? He just committed, but those were he re- they were the two lead recruiters on him. And so you wonder now, uh, you know, what effect that'll have on the 2022 class and moving forward. If you know they've already lost one commitment, so uh, that, that's a real concern because you know usually when there's a disruption like that. Uh, in the recruiting, you know, prospects tend to look elsewhere. So as far as the immediate future, uh, uh, these decisions to basically suspend these three guys, I assume that was Ray Anderson along with the president, Dr. Crow, calling and saying to Herm, this is what we need to do in the short term. And I view it as sort of plugging the dam, so to speak. But the thought is that, okay, where does this end? Not from the NCA perspective, because that'll run its course as it takes its time to get to that point, whenever that might be. But from the ASU perspective, where does this end in the immediacy? Well, from what I've been told, this is all um, coming from Michael Crow, the school president, uh, So, which is not unusual for him uh, in the past since he's been at Arizona State. Uh, you know, whenever there's issues with NCAA, uh, he gets involved. And, you know, to me, this seems like Arizona State is trying to, you know, from what's been reported, I have not seen the content of this package that was sent to ASU compliance and that is now in the hands of NCAA. I have not seen the content of that uh, a national reporter has. And, you know, it seems like there's some pretty uh, – potentially damaging information in that. And 
the most significant of that information uh, seemed to deal with the three assistants who are now on leave. So it seems like Arizona State is trying to get out ahead of this, which is not uncommon. You know, in basketball, sometimes we see schools who are under the NCAA microscope, they kind of self-impose a tournament ban or something similar just to kind of hopefully when the NCAA makes a ruling, they might, you know, show, a, you know, it's just maybe go a little bit lenient, more lenient than what they would have if they had not self-imposed the penalties. So it seems to me that Arizona State is in that phase right now that they are that they realize that, you know, they did some things that they shouldn't have and they're trying to get out in front of it a little bit. If there are additional moves, I don't know what they would be. Um, you know, there's a lot of speculation around Antonio Pierce, the recruiting coordinator, and whether it's believable that the three youngest guys on staff orchestrated this all by themselves. But, um, you know, Antonio Pierce is higher up the line, and, you know, he's really connected to, you know, he was, Herm Edwards is grooming him to be the next head coach at Arizona State. So, you know, I don't know. If they would lose him, then that would really, uh, really affect the entire operation. But, you know, whether it gets to that point, I, I don't know. So in the meantime, are the players just uh, shaking this all off and doing their thing? They've got their NFL dreams and their conference title dreams and all that kind of stuff. Does it really cause that big a ripple right now? Well, I mean, you know how players are. They're pretty resilient. Um, you know, and it, it, you know they're going to take an us-against-the-world mentality, which I think makes sense for them. Uh, you know, this is a lot of – I mean, they, they didn't do any of this stuff. Um you know, one of the players at Pac-12 Media Day did say something I thought was really interesting. He said that uh, it was Chase Lucas, their cornerback, all-conference quarterback, and he was there with Jaden Daniels, their quarterback, and he said that they had been talking while they were there in Los Angeles that, you know, if Arizona State doesn't win the Pac-12 this year, they're never going to win it. So um, I thought that was interesting, and I thought maybe he was foreshadowing a little bit about where this might go. Um but, yeah, they're, they're a talented group. I mean, just through the first week of practice, the defense, which returns all 11 starters, has looked outstanding. Now, granted, no one's in pads or anything, so, I mean, it is what it is. But, you know, they, they have a lot of experience, a lot of guys, a lot of three- and four-year starters, and, and they've looked the part so far. Um, they have, a, you know, four returning starters on the offensive line and one of the better quarterbacks in the conference and two good running backs. So, they have a lot of pieces, so it could be a situation if they come out and, you know, get off to a good start. You know how these things work. Uh, you know, the noise around the program kind of turns into excitement about, you know, how the team is playing. So I would say that would probably be, be the best-case scenario for them. So we all know, Doug, when Herm got hired, that it was a controversial hire, and he didn't even know the school's nickname and all that stuff. Uh, and we all remember that. He was lambasted. And now it seems like, well, he's gotten a lot of praise you strip away at either 15 and 13, I think, uh, under his reign against Division One opponents and a couple of uh, big sky wins. You th- sort of throw them out. Uh, so with that in mind, I'm wondering, and he's kept a lot of games close, and that's the big thing where they only lose by one score. But the style of football that they play would dictate, by and large, that the game be close. But I'm wondering if you view and people in the Valley view this as sort of a make or break. Not necessarily a make or break, but he's got to have a breakout season this year. No, I mean, everything, this is his fourth year, and everything is kind of shaped into, I mean, everything is pointed to this year being the year that they really kind of make that huge step and, and contend instead of, you know, just finishing with, you know, seven win regular season, maybe an eighth win in a, during the, you can get an eighth win in the bowl. So, yeah, I, I think people have been waiting and, 
you know, Todd Graham, who was here before Hearn, was, was very popular with the fan base. So, you know, when, when Hearn took over, it, it took him a while to kind of win over the fan base. He did. Um, if you've ever been around Herman Edwards, he's about as likable guy as you will find. And, uh, you know, it, it, I think people bought into it really quickly and were, they were willing to give, you know, to wait, you know, see where this goes. Recruiting picked up. Uh, but now, yeah, there's, there's no question. Uh, when they brought in Jaden Daniels as their quarterback, this was the year they kind of circled to say like this, all right, we could take a big step. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's time. It, it, it is time. I've said before that Arizona State is always next next season university. It, it always seems like like okay, we'll be okay this year, but next year is our year. Um, I've covered this program for uh, over ten years now, and it seems like that's always <laughs> always what people are saying about Arizona State. So that time is here. Uh, and if you're an Arizona State fan, it's unfortunate that that time has come and you're in the middle of an NCAA investigation that's affected your program. But, um, you know, it, they have everything in place, seem to have everything in place. They're not the only school that, that has a lot of talent, a lot of returning t- uh, starters. But uh, I would say on paper, Arizona State looks to be in its, the best position it's been to contend in the Pac-12, and I've seen it in a while. Doug Haller joining us, Arizona State writer for The Athletic. Uh, are they worried at all about the youths there? Are they worried about uh, USC? They're just worried about themselves. <laughs> I think they are worried about themselves. Uh, anybody who's not worried about Utah uh, is a fool, in my opinion, uh, because they, Kyle Winningham, um, one of the more underrated coaches in the country, always has his team. Uh, in position to play, and he, it's always a bad matchup, it seems, for Arizona State. And, of course, USC always has talent. It just seems like there's just something missing to bring that all together. So, yeah, I, I would say that those two schools would be the ones those, – those, those, they would be the ones I would worry about. And, you know, I think everyone's always kind of wondering if Chip Kelly is going to get it together or if this is the year that Chip Kelly gets it together. So, yeah, I would put USC and, and Utah at the top of my list for sure. So I saw you had a piece on trying to keep kids in state, and I grew up in Arizona, and I'm well aware of that, and I can sort of live with a quarterback from Arizona in the Valley going to Oregon, going to USC, going to Ohio State, going to Oklahoma, going to Ohio State, but Doug, I cannot live with a quarterback from the Valley going to West Virginia. That's out of it. That's over the top for me, and I've had enough of that, and I don't think that it's going to change, and my number one thing is I think the kids are just tired of how hot it is and they want to try something else. But losing a quarterback to West Virginia, that's got to be the topper. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was interesting. The story that you're talking about is something that we at the Athletic we've done through uh, several states is we just contact coaches in the state and ask them a series of questions, uh, and they're able to speak anonymously so they can be honest. Um, just about how their programs are recruited in-state, out-of-state, uh, what works, what doesn't, and you know the Arizona narrative for a long time has been that they can't keep the top talent in their backyards. And the interesting part about that in relation to Arizona State is that you know the coaches I've talked to, I talked to eight, pretty much said that you know Arizona State when when Herm first got there uh, was really active, uh, trying to build relationships, and when it didn't immediately pay off, they just kind of shifted gears and directed their attention elsewhere, which, you know, players are players, talent is talent. Uh, you know, people have different opinions on that. But when, you know, one coach pointed out that, you know, Arizona, the state of Arizona could have, you know, possibly three guys in, in New York for, as Heisman finalists this year, 
um, you know, it's it's kind of a bad look. I mean, people have pride, and you know, it's always weird to see you know your best players going and, and leading other countries to, or I'm sorry, other schools to the college football playoffs. So, um, it, definitely interesting. Um, but yeah, that that's been something that I think not only you know I was talking to Dennis Erickson a, a few months ago, and you know he he mentioned that he said that you know Arizona always had trouble in. I think you're right. I think the heat has a big <laughs> is a big factor because uh, you know practicing at this time of year in you know 108, 109 degree heat is not fun for anybody. Anybody at Arizona State offering up any opinions on what the conference ought to do with realignment looming? Not really. Uh, I mean, there's been so much. I mean, to be honest, I think that question's only been asked once. Um, I haven't seen. You know, Ray Anderson was at media day, and I requested to talk to him, uh, the athletic director, and. Uh, was told he wanted to keep the focus on the on the new commissioner and everything. So I mean, you know, not not a lot of people are making themselves available right now, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, I, I just think everyone's just kind of focused on, you know, just the season and and just you know trying to see what's next and get through this uh, the best they can. Yeah, we were down there broadcasting up on the twelfth uh, floor. Uh, we always go down for media day and. And I have a mutual friend with uh, Ray Anderson, and I went up and said hello to him, and I think he was reluctant to say hi back. He seemed to be a little bit, uh, a little bit edgy when I approached him. I'm wondering, you know, he's the Herm is his hire, and there was some basketball issue with a booster or something, and Bobby Hurley's wife got involved and all that stuff. I you probably know the details more than I do, but the point being for you. Uh, what is the level of confidence in Ray Anderson being able to stay on the job at ASU? Uh, that's interesting. Uh, Ray is not only well-respected uh, at Arizona State, but he is well-respected within the conference. Um, you know, he's played a major role in certain things um, throughout the years. However, I mean, you're right. Bringing on her, I think, somehow connected those two uh, because it was such an outside-the-box hire. And, you know, I think, you know, and then Ray is really, you know, Michael Crow is also, I think all three of them are connected. I don't think, you know, I'm not suggesting that this could pull all three of them down. That's not the case. Uh, But, you know, it's not not a good time for him. And a lot of people are just wondering who all all knew about this. you know, and, and we've reported that at least you know the number two guy in command in the athletic department, Gene Boyd, was aware, uh, or at least made aware that there might be some shadiness going on in the football in the football coaching offices. So um, I don't know how much that protects Ray or how much that protects Herm. I don't know, but you know, it seems like to me just starting off uh, by you know starting at the lower levels and getting rid of three of the lower guys on on you know on the on the staff coaching chart. Um, you know they're they're working from the bottom up. I, I, you know I'm not suggesting it'll get to as high as even Antonio Pierce, the defensive coordinator. But you know I think it's a, it's not an interesting strategy. I think it's probably the strategy that everyone guessed they would go. Uh, but you know people do have some questions about Ray. You know especially with Herm being his guy, and then you mentioned the the booster and the and, the, and Bobby Hurley's wife. Um, you know and how he handled that wasn't probably the best. So uh, it's been it's definitely been an interesting couple of years here. Well, Doug, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, I appreciate you having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to the season getting started. There's Doug Haller, Arizona State writer for The Athletic. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines coming up. 
Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag college football. Well, it's all important, but if you had to rank it, taking care of the football is number one. Being able to run the football, all great backs have the same thing in common. When there's nothing there, they make three yards, and that's what you look for. you got to have a guy that whenever nothing's blocked up, and you got you got to make something out of nothing, and uh, that, that's critical that they, uh, they're able to do that. Pass pro and catching the ball out of the backfield, you know, those are obviously important as well. Pass pro is probably ranked ahead of catching the ball out of the backfield. Catching the ball out of the backfield is a bonus. If you can do it, and you, if you can do it well at a high level, that just opens up. Uh, more possibilities for offensive coordinator. That's just meat and potatoes for Kyle Whittingham right there. Breaking down running backs, PK. Well, he asked me to ask that question. He did. <laughs> that was my question. I mean, most of the sound bites are off my questions. I can ask questions. I mean, you can read lips. I can ask questions. We all it's have our just gifts. the skills. <laughs> we all have our gifts. Uh, I remember that morning you came in. Well, I have a skill. I do. It's a gift. More, Lottie, it's a gift freaking dog. God bestowed upon me. Oh. Well, let me just say, God gave me some uh, blessings in other areas. Ew. Nice haircut. Didn't get a haircut. Still nice. Okay. <laughs> Alabama was the runaway. I guess that's actually better when it holds up on the time, I mean, the time, other right? day, you looked like Elvis there. We all <laughs> slicked back. I was, a, I was a running a little late. <laughs> <laughs> that that hair had been rinsed. This hair was actually washed. Okay. Alabama was the runaway top-ranked team in the preseason coaches poll that was released by USA Today. Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio I didn't, State, I didn't see that coming. Blah, 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 blah. That's a shock. <laughs> How many back 12 teams in the top five? None. How many in the top ten? None. Oregon at 12, USC at 14. Washington at 21, and then Utah and Arizona State. Others receiving votes. Don't forget BYU. That's so typical of Channel 2. We'll get to BYU. I'm discussing Pac-12. Well, they're Pac-13. They're playing five games this year. <laughs> Again, double disrespect. All right, I'll own the double disrespect. I did not I did not even consider Pac-13. Double disrespect. I did not even... <laughs> Utah is one spot out, ASU's three out, BYU is six out, so you'd assume if BYU beats Arizona State and Utah, and, well, Arizona gets to 3-0, and they'll be well inside the top 25 by then. Three out for ASU. I mean, that's more than one meaning, the assistant coach. Yeah. <laughs> and, and on behalf of BYU fans everywhere, Ute fans, I accept your apology. Because you scoffed at Coastal Carolina last year, and now they are inside the top 25, as you said. Number 24. Well, they got Grayson Allen, at quarterback, coming back. Whatever that dude's name was, Grayson something or other. Uh, Grayson Allen would be the Jazz draft pick that they traded to Memphis. That was nice. I know, I know, I know, I know. I heard Memphis Grizzly. Well, actually, no. Oh, no, traded. He's on Milwaukee Bucks. Date. Man, I hate you people behind the times. I got to keep you moving. So, yes, you scoffed at Coastal Carolina, but they're a really good ball club. And trying to beat them on a 14 hours of preparation is very difficult and get on a transatlantic flight. 
There were some new, new-ish names in the top ten. Iowa State, North Carolina, Cincinnati are 8, 9, 10. Now, Iowa State's obviously coming off a very good year. Phoenix new, area new quarterback. Ish. Yeah. So we'll see how those teams do. Oh, great. We'll, we'll, we'll throw you a bone. Yeah, basically. <laughs> the way the thing is set up. Bama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. Who cares if you're not in the top four? Prove me wrong. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're not in And what bowl game you go to outside of the granddaddy, nobody cares. Georgia, Texas A&M, and Notre Dame are 5, 6, 7, waiting for one of the big dogs to stumble. Hasn't Georgia been ranked just outside the top yes. four for like 25 years? It seems like it, yes. <laughs> I think they got to one playoff. They're forever losing in the SEC title game or in the game to get to the SEC title game. The NCAA Board of Governors announced the members who will form the committee tasked with charting the future of the NCAA as it prepares for a constitutional convention in November. That sounds very important. A constitutional convention. West Coast Conference Commissioner Gloria Neveraz is on the committee, which is chaired by former U.S. Secretary of Defense Robert Gates. Man. I have no idea who Robert Gates Getting is. Getting the big dogs. There's no Condoleezza Rice, but Secretary of Defense. I know who she is because she's a Stanford fan and got a lot of run. Yeah. But Bobby Gates, I've got no clue who he is. Know the name. You can put the face on I the screen. I don't know the yeah, name. Yeah, I wouldn't know what I'd get there. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers likely to sit out of the preseason games the teams will play, giving former Utah State quarterback Jordan Love an opportunity to showcase his skills. He took zero snaps last year, and there were no preseason games last year. Rodgers didn't need the preseason games as he lit up the league, so he takes these off and we get a little, little glimpse of Jordan Love against third, second, third string defenses. And Are they playing three now? Yep. Seahawks have a contract offer on the table to Pro Bowl safety Jamal Adams. There are reports that they're ready to make the deal. No word on if Adams intends to accept the offer. He's expected to be in line for an extension of making the NFL's highest paid safety, topping the $15.25 million per year average of the Denver Broncos' Justin Simmons. Well, he's the last line of defense. You know, he's their safety. And the cornerbacks, of course, they're out there on an island. Loving me some football talk. Saints lost veteran cornerback Patrick Robinson to retirement. The 11-year vet hanging up his cleats. He's expected to be a starter, but he's decided he's done. You're going to hang him up? He's walking away. Hang up his cleats, huh? Hanging him up. DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Jazz Summer League team back in action tonight. They're facing the Dallas Mavericks at 7 o'clock. You can catch the action on NBA TV or on ESPN3. Feel like you're seeing anything new out of these guys now, or do you kind of know after four games who these guys are and what to expect out of them? You learning anything new? Now these fellas? Yeah. These just end of the bench guys? Yep. Not really. Nothing really comes to mind, no. Force shoots it a little better, at least against this level of competition, which was the knock on him. Yeah, but see, he was a fringe member of the rotation, so he's higher up on the pecking order than some of the other dudes. 
So I'd expect him to have a better performance mm-hmm. because they saw something into him when somebody went down, especially there when the guards were down there in that stretch down at the end. He was getting some playing time. So you would expect him to be better than the others because they put him in when the games counted. These obviously don't count. So I expect him to be better. The other day, they didn't play Hughes. I was wondering just as a rotational thing. He was a draft pick. So I would expect that he would play. So I'm looking, I don't want to say looking forward to watching it, but we're going to be looking at him and see if he gets some time. Because I thought he might be able to contribute as a second-round pick. Didn't do much last season. Now if he has another DMP, that's not a good sign. Right. Uh, Forrest, 5 of 12 from the three-point line in these four summer league games, three in Utah and the one down in Vegas. So we'll see if he keeps that rolling. NBA TV tonight, 7 o'clock, Jazz and the Mavericks. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Russell Westbrook telling reporters his dream of suiting up for the Lakers as a kid has come true. Being from L.A., you always wish you can play for your home team and be able to do that. But that's definitely something I always kind of circle around in my mind, and maybe one day, but I would always like to come back and be like, ah, that probably won't happen. And it did. The power of the purple and gold for kids who grow up in L.A. Sure, yeah, why wouldn't it be if you're a kid there? Uh, he grew up in Hawthorne, went to school at Luzinger, which is in the South Bay, Lawndale, uh, right next door. Home of DeLon Wright. DeLon Wright went to that same high school, for those who are interested. So, obviously, I mean, that is in the heart, I mean, right there in the heart of Laker country. So, you would expect that every kid who ever bounced a basketball in that area <laughs> would have a desire and a dream at least and probably you know for 99.999% of it that's all it is is a dream so yeah that doesn't surprise me at all so he's uh, 32 years old he would have yes, been yeah. he would have been a teenager when Shaq and Kobe mm-hmm. were doing their thing winning yeah. the three-peat and all that that would have yeah. been the perfect age to really get into it and I'm sure he is well aware of, of showtime he sure. wasn't around, but right. they don't have to be around to know something, and that continued and He's all that. Seen the clips and all and that, all those yeah. guys, a lot of them magic and all are around in the community. They're visible, yeah. So absolutely, I'm sure he can recite Laker history off the top of his head because all those kids covering high school basketball in the '80s, like I did when the Lakers were Showtime. I mean, it was you were watching every team desired to be a mini Laker team. I mean, there was so much affection there uh, for for those guys. And I would imagine in the 90s it would be the exact same thing when they were doing their thing. And then, of course, later in the Shaq and Kobe area. Boston Celtics have agreed to a one-year deal, $5.9 million with free agent Dennis Schroeder. That's notable because Schroeder reportedly rejected an $80 million-plus contract extension with the Lakers. He could have had four and 80. He's got one and six. Hoping to hit a richer deal in free agency, and it all went wrong for him. So he goes from the Lakers to the Celtics. One year, we'll see what he does there. Well, it's hard to grieve for him because he's still making more money than I'll ever make in my lifetime. I wouldn't think if I added it up, I would get to the five million range. But at the same time, man, you really blew it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't. What is 120? Is that the max? I don't pay attention to this stuff or what have you. What, what he could have gotten because 
at no point did I ever look at him as whatever he was eligible for, maximum-wise, was he that good of a player to get that. So looking at something in the $20 million range, thought he probably would have signed it because he wasn't going to end up at 25 or 30. But he thought he was, and now he's with Boston. I don't, how could you possibly do that, man? I, 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 don't, I have no idea. I mean, that is I beyond... I know. The, and it's the like the consolation prize mm-hmm. is still so spectacular because at five point nine million, at six million, that's you'd have to make two hundred grand for thirty years. Is that what it'd be? I ain't making two hundred grand for thirty years. <laughs> no, that's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> and when you get off to that bold start, making twelve, thirteen, fourteen thousand a year, <laughs> you gotta, you really gotta pick up your game at the end. My first newspaper job was eleven thousand five hundred. At 44 uh, hours a week. I bet there's a lot of stories there. I was 40 hours for $12,000. $1,000 a month. Oh, I would have killed for $1,000 yeah. a month. and four hours less of work, too. How about that? Which is actually a joke because it was way more than that. 44. They yeah. just, you started comp time at the 45th hour. Houston Rockets, the number two overall pick, Jalen Green, beat the Pistons, and the top pick in the draft, Cade Cunningham. 111 to 91 in their first match. I knew, of the, I knew the Pistons made a bad pick. <laughs> they screwed it up. Lost by 20 in the summer league game. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Well, the Red Sox bullpen had a chance to do it, and they didn't. They were up 4 1 in the seventh inning, and the Rays come back and tie it up at four. And then they score four in the ninth and win eight to four. In the American League East, we're getting a little separation, PK. That's a five-game five game lead. Yeah. Congratulations to the Rays, man. Small market. Five up on Snell. the Red Sox, seven up on the Yankees. Good Star for them. Star pitcher. Here we go again. No, here we go again in terms of them winning again. That's why I think analytics and all that stuff, I think it can make a significant difference in baseball. Do you like it? You're right, but do you like it? Or does it remove some of the mystery from the game and all the shifts and everything drive you that's nuts? Not, but see, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking from the financial thing. The shifts are another story. I'm talking from the financial aspect, the money ball, the Billy mm-hmm. Bean movie with the A's yep. and all that stuff. I'm speaking analytically from a financial standpoint, which is not only good, it's imperative. Or else you would have just a wide range. It would be it would MLB would be college football if it was just financial. Yeah. So from a financial standpoint, the as it, far as it the, introduces the shifts and all, right. that's another story. Right. Because if it weren't for that on the financial side, it would be the richest clubs, be the Yankees yeah, and yeah, Red Sox yeah. and the Dodgers. And it's not that they're terrible, but at least the Rays are able to do this. Well, there's those guys are always in the mix or usually in the mix. But, they but don't, there's they're room one, enough yeah. for other folks if you handle your business with scouting and spending the money wisely there's clearly room for these other teams so it doesn't much matter uh, that way the shifts is another story you want to talk about that we can but I I think that from the financial standpoint that's what I speak of analytics you look at a player his value his portion of the piece of the puzzle that you have to have, whether he's a relief pitcher, he's a starting pitcher, he's an infielder, he's an outfielder, blah, 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 on and on. And so if you do that right, you can be the Rays. Absolutely. And I think it's good for sports. 
The Giants, no matter what they do right or what they do wrong, in the end, they seem to do enough to win. The comebacks they had in Milwaukee over the weekend and the way they escaped against the Brewers was great. They blew a 5 nothing lead against Arizona. Diamondbacks scored 5 in the 6th to tie it. Giants scored 2 in the 8th to go up. Bullpen blew it. 2 in the ninth for the Diamondbacks, and the Giants go out and score again in the ninth. One way or another, they keep finding ways to win, and they are now 31 games over 500. Are they going to end up winning 100 this year? All the talk about the Dodgers and Padres with the Giants could not only win the division, but depending on how they finish here, they might even be a 100-win team. Way to go, Giants. Dodgers did keep pace. They blanked Philadelphia. Philly had had a win streak going, but that's over. Phillies have a 51% chance of winning the division still. I'm looking at it right now, according to fan graphics. <laughs> <laughs> Longtime Philly fan myself, obviously. Back from that area. Padres keep pace. They beat the Marlins 6-5. to five. The Astros, with a two-game lead over Oakland, they shut out the Rockies 5-zip. Oakland did win, though. Beat the Indians 4-3 to keep pace, keep pace there. Jed Lowry with a game-winning double in the 10th inning. Salt Lake Bees lose the season finale 10-9 to the Las Vegas Aviators. The Bees will open a series against the Sacramento River Cats tomorrow night at Smith's Ballpark at 6-35. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Riley Jensen, college football insider and mental performance coach. He will join us at 8 o'clock. Start talking college football with Riley. He'll be here every week all through the season. 9 o'clock, Matt George. Matt George is host of the Locked on Kings podcast and... The ties right now, you got the former Aggie, name is Kata, going to Sacramento. And you got Hassan Whiteside leaving the Kings and coming to the Jazz. How much has he got in his tank? How much was one year, was last year just kind of a one-off? Oh, you got in the one-off early today. Yeah, I thought I did. <laughs> you know, that's when you got a hitting streak going. You want to get the yet, hit. Though. <laughs> well, hey. It's early. I need my next at bat, but You're I got the hitting the streak, the one-off streak one-off. in the second inning. I want to get up again in the fourth. So, like, if Honey cooks a bad meal, he says, no, no problem, Honey, that's a one-off? Nope. Or if she looks at you and says, no problem, DJ, that was a one-off? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) You're you're welcome. (laughs) The way you mowed the lawn. We got 9 o'clock PK early this morning. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Well, be happy, be happy, be happy, be cheerful. We are. Why? So Formula's you. worked for 20 years. It might change now. <laughs> <laughs> and we got the question of the day coming up. Sure, we can all look at Dennis Schroeder and say, what are you doing? But when you look in the mirror, what do you think? And we also, too, later on this morning, uh, we're awesome, and we've got proof. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's a win ticket.
Wednesday on the Zone Sports Network. It's a win ticket Wednesday right here. Win. Listen all day for the win ticket Wednesday sounder for your chance to win tickets. What? Who authorized that? To all the biggest concerts, games, and other great events here in the state of Utah. It's a win ticket Wednesday right here. Right here. Right here. Right here. Woo! On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Davis Vision Summer LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Question of the day off of Dennis Schroeder, who could have had a multi-year $80 million contract with the Lakers. Four years, 80 mil, but instead he's going to Boston for one year and six million. Inspired by him, what are financial decisions you made that didn't work out? The dumb financial decisions. No, I've had a bunch. You regret so much. That uh, I regret not being able to get in on the kolaches like you did. That was awesome. <laughs> How much would it cost? <laughs> How much you got? <laughs> See now, uh, we Johnny Colazzi, where are you today? I don't want to know. But uh, <laughs> explaining the backstory, he would come in, and he knew he, I was a small timer, so he went to the big money dude. He was an advertiser. <laughs> Never <laughs> once approached me, but approached you weekly, like two thousand eight, nine, somewhere in there. Yeah. Never once. Had a store down on seven or 800, 800 South, I think, maybe 900. He knew I was Penny's. In fact, he used to call me Penny. <laughs> Penny Hardaway. And you, he knew going right to the big money. That was so awesome to see. It's like I wasn't even there. He's got nothing. I'm going to the cash cow. We used to call you CC Sabathia. <laughs> cash cow. Oh, man. <laughs> this one you planned. Oh, this one you were thinking honestly, about I yesterday. Honestly, you I called I, on. I, I, I swear This is your you. question. You put it up. I know. And it teed you up perfectly. I know, and it just came to me right now. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Gianni Kalachi. <laughs> A shout out for that guy. Um, t- I just thought of it You right may not now. know where he is. want to know where he is, but I do. I don't oh, want to invest. Because you got some him. money coming back. Nope. 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 Don't <laughs> invest. Kalachis were tasty. High calorie, but tasty. <laughs> I once had a guy, when we first moved up here, kept calling me. And it was when I was just working for the watchdog and working either from home as a beat guy or working the desks or working nights. And he would call in the day. And he didn't have caller ID in the, in the early 90s when we moved here. So I'd answer the phone. And it was some dude, a thick New York accent, and he kept trying to get me to invest, right? And he would just go, and I would engage him because I was bored. And he'd call like several times, and I guess because I engaged him, he figured maybe I got something. And I never met the guy, but I heard his voice several times and would, would interact with him, and he would go on and on. And i said, listen, dude, I was born in Jersey, not Utah. So... 
you're not getting any of my money, but keep going. I love your pitch. And we'd go back and forth. Well, then I'm watching the Today Show or something, and the guy, I don't know if it was the guy, but they had him on, and they had his voice sounded just like him, and he'd been arrested in some scam. Nice. Yeah. You almost got scammed yesterday, but you're too savvy to fall for this. Got five calls saying that the, something about uh, the federal magistrate has issued an injunction. And I need to call immediately. They kept calling all afternoon. I'm mowing the lawn. I got like two calls. Just trying to bully you into it. I mean, I've been on the wrong side of the law a few times, so I don't know <laughs> speeding what's, tickets. I don't know what's <laughs> well, going what have you on. Done? I think I ever got speeding tickets till I moved here. Zapped three or four times. I don't think I, well, I'd, I got them in California. Our first real estate purchase, you could say, was somewhat of a bad, bad investment. Now, I've never had anybody, uh, my wife's grandmother bought us a car once when we, uh, we were just strapped. Uh, but that was when we were living here. So uh, that, other than that, uh, you know, we, we saved every cent we could get to buy a townhouse in Harbor City, California, which is right next to Pedro. And we bought it. <laughs> Saved all, all in, the entire money was from us, the two of us. Teacher and little reporter, two crappy salaries. And we saved up $15,000 to get a down payment. And so we bought this townhouse, two bedroom, two bath, 1,100 square feet in a horrible area in Harbor City for 145000 right? And But it was ours, man, and nobody gave us a cent for it. I didn't have any sugar daddy. My father didn't give me any money, blah, 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 her father, whatever. It was all ourselves. And bought it for 145000 Well, within the next year, it was, they were selling for 200000 Nice! But we just moved in, right? You didn't want to. But the problem is you're not leaving at this point, so you just would have had to buy in in the inflated market, too. Well, two years later... Uh-oh, base closings? Rodney King, and uh. just led to all sorts of stuff. And then a Democrat gets in the White House, does uh, goes down defense, so those bases did close. So the, the thing just kept dropping and dropping and dropping. And... We came up with a five-year plan once it became apparent to get out of there. And so we wanted to sell because we wanted to rent and then to have the flexibility. That part worked out great. But uh, we couldn't sell. It was just everything was just in going down where we were after the 92, April 29th, I think it was, uh, after that happened. And we had this realtor for over, it must have been a year, nothing. And some dude, the thing expired with the lady, and some dude leaves a message on my answer machine. Oh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, but, you know, I'll try. And so give me a shot, and, you know, maybe we could pull it off. He had a thick Philadelphia accent. Ah, so you're all about it. I need an East Coast guy with some street smarts. Here's my guy. (laughs) (laughs) Call him up. Come on over. You're in. Uh, So we sold it. Uh, He sold it. Found some sucker who sold it. And uh, sold it for 145. 
So sold it for what we bought for it, but we ended up losing the $15,000 down payment that we had. And so then I rented for a year, and then I got the job here. And then I go back uh, six months after we moved here. So it was like a year and a half after we sold it, and they were going for like 90000 Whew, man, we got <laughs> there just in time. So do you ever always check on it to see what it's going for now? I think I checked a while back, and it was around a little over, I think it was like 280 Yeah. Now. But, yeah. I mean, that's 25 The base closings later. rattled everything. And I couldn't afford to buy in Santa Barbara, and then the real estate crashed, and I still couldn't afford to buy <laughs> it's like, The base closings really, really Yeah, well, Harbor City is no Santa Barbara. No. No, and you were much closer to a base in Santa Barbara. Like, Several. Yeah. See, I mean, it's like an earthquake, and Santa Barbara's further away, but it was still real estate took a hit. A friend of mine uh, in Santa Barbara said his, he was 10 years older. He was a beat writer who covered the gauchos. Said his house lost like half its value. Said, but the good news is my kids are in junior high, and I'm not moving. Yeah, if you wait it out. <laughs> or elementary school, I guess. Yeah. We didn't want to wait it out. So I, I, if I would have sold... I would have been able to to cash in. But the good thing here is I've made some real estate transactions, and they've worked out just fine. All right. So all's well that ends well, right? Eric says uh, his mistake. Last year, someone suggested I buy Dogecoin. Am I pronouncing it right? Dogecoin. Dogecoin. It was then .005 per unit. I laughed. That's not even a legitimate cryptocurrency, I said. Well, a few months ago, it peaked at uh, 80 cents per unit. Had I put 1000 bucks in then, I could have cashed out with nearly 300 grand. 1000 you can get 300 grand back? Yep. Oops. What? Wow. Of course, he also could have lost his 1000 But it turned out. Jeez. That's a massive return. Brian says, probably the worst thing I did was buying a used car that lasted only a few months. P.S. I don't feel bad for Dennis Schroeder. Poor guy's only getting $5.9 million. Well, yeah, from that perspective, I don't feel bad for anybody who's playing NBA hoop financially. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then Brian posts that, and Jeff says, well, if I was his agent, I'd quit. To which a third guy, Jason, weighs in. Well, that's probably his agent pushing for the higher bucks. Well, yeah, I wonder what was the influence there. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the backstory. Maybe, maybe the agent was saying, "You got to take this," and Schroeder saying, "No, not happening. I'm going to hold out for another which uh, eighty to one twenty, obviously fifty mil, right? Or forty, 40 mil. Forty mil. Uh, so that that's a lot of cash, but at the same time, wow. 80 mil. <laughs> to think that... Set for life. Yeah, yeah. I can only think of my father. Dad, I'm going to turn down 80 million. What? He would have set the speed record driving to wherever I was to just knock me silly. Just knock some sense to me. I remember when I told him about I got the radio gig. I was just so stoked. I mean, I'd always wanted to do sports radio. If it wasn't the Dodgers, this was my second dream. Sports radio when it first came out. I've said this many times. And so I remember we got that. I finally got the gig. I'd have been subbing for years. I did many shows with you over the years and mm-hmm. Gordon and others. Yep. Uh, 
Ryan Hatch and whomever it might be uh, doing shows and made myself available, literally changed vacations so I could get it if something came up. Had a vacation scheduled to go to California, the beach, and Rickard called me, hey, we need you next week. Okay. And I, I changed, I literally changed the vacation so I could do it. So I really wanted it. And so I finally got it in 02. And uh, I called my father to tell him, zero excitement. What about the newspaper? <laughs> I said, well, what about it? Well, I don't know about this radio thing, but all I know in all my years of living, and he was in his 60s, I every morning that newspaper's out on the doorstep, and it's not going anywhere, and I'm not so sure about this radio stuff. And I said, well, I'm not quitting the newspaper. Oh, okay, well then, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get my approval after we check a few boxes. And here we are all these years later, and unfortunately, and I underscore unfortunately a thousand times over, the newspaper business has gone in the toilet. But it was, uh, he was aware of it a little bit, but not to the extent that it is now. And he was, she said, I mean, I read, he brought home, we had three newspapers when I was a kid. The local one, the Precipity Daily Record, the Star Ledger. And then my mother worked in the city, New York, and she'd bring home one. David says, worst financial decision I made was buying season tickets to the Utah Stars. I hope that's not a slam on them. Is he going to minor league basketball or is he going WNBA? I, I, I assume he's taking a shot at the WNBA because they moved. Yeah. But I would think you would have gotten your money refunded. They had a promotion. I actually covered a bunch of their games, so it was part of work, uh, home and away. Every time they played in L.A. or Phoenix, it seemed like I was there, and I'd covered some other stuff and certainly covered them here when they played in the arena a bunch of times. It was works work, so I had no problem covering it. But they had some promotion that if you came down, you got uh, X amount of Coke products. So my daughter's a little older now, but when she was younger, I used to take her to these events. Like I took her to Utah Volleyball and well, Stars Basketball and just to you know, softball. We'd go up just to see women compete in sports, right? And so I saw this promotion. If you came and bought like four tickets, they gave you vouchers for Coke products, Diet Coke, Sprite, or whatever, whatever they were making, and... It ended up being more that you could get from that from the cost of the tickets. So this is an investment. Because <laughs> we're going to buy this stuff. I'll buy a $5 ticket yeah. and get $10 worth of stuff. Well, that's what you're getting. Yeah, that's what you're getting. So we came down. I remember coming down and watching the game just as a spectator, not as, as a media guy. And it brought her, and we had a family of four, came down, and I got a return on all these Coke products that we were going to get anyway. So I was like, divvy, I'll pay a little now, and then I'll, I'll save money. I remember, I remember specifically doing that. I thought it was a great promotion. We came down and watched the game and got all this, these Coke products. So that was an investment, small investment, but I'm glad I did it. All right, DJ and PK, coming up, we got another question of the day here, and uh, you have something you teased you want to get to. We're awesome. Awesome. We'll get to that. I got conclusive proof. And the same teams are always awesome in college football. How boring and predictable is that? We'll get to that coming up. Stay with us.
Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Time to chat with Max Tooley. Give us a story or two about your mission. Something that was unique about my mission was I was assigned to speak Mandarin on my mission. Wow. So yeah, it was quite the you know the tall order. Got to serve in different areas where uh, you know where specific you know Chinese students would be. I loved my mission. That Mandarin's going to serve you well down the line for sure. There's <laughs> yeah. no doubt about that. We appreciate your time and thanks for joining us. Hey, uh, uh, Max Wani. Hawaii, huh? Yeah. All right, man. I'll see you later. I know a little Mandarin. Look at you. You okay. just Googled that. No, I did not. I know Waini means I love you. Because... You just told Max Tooley I love you? Yeah, well, yeah, now that I think about it, I did. That's a little awkward. He said it back, though. Oh, this is uncomfortable. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. All right, people hitting us up on uh, Twitter this morning. <laughs> VK. What? Bad financial decisions. Jay says, I throw away my Maverick Cup every time, so I always pay full price for my Mountain Dew. I've been doing it for years, and I should know better. Oh, the math. The missed savings. Shooter and I are blood brothers. Oh, yeah. That's, that's dumb, man. Save save it. Millions. You go to Millions the, of uh, Mountain Dew. You go to the movie place and you get a large popcorn and they give you a refill. But if you don't want to use it and eat two big things, you save it for the next time. Then you throw it out. Top 60 and 60 is back in the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah. So we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on the Zone Sports Network. All right. You got proof. We're awesome. What is it? What happened? You want us to be awesome? That's what you just said. So I don't want you to bait and switch here. Oh, no. No, no. I I will tell you. Give me me a second. Talk about something else here. Give me a second. (laughs) Okay. Hit us up on Twitter. David DJ James. About how we're awesome and how you've blown money. (laughs) This comes from Ralph Amsden. A-M-S-D-E-N. Mm-hmm. I think he's a kid out of Arizona, but I got to double check. He says, I listen to way, and he's got three Ys. I listen to way too much Pac-12 region sports radio. And there's a ton of personalities that I like. But at David DJ James and at PK Kinahan in Salt Lake, they are elite when they focus on Pac-12 topics, they are a tremendous listen. So, boys and girls, we are elite. All right. Tell me something I didn't know. And he's from Arizona? I, I'm not positive. That's just a great example. You were just talking about this in the last segment for people who are joining us, how when you jump to radio, your dad's like, well, the newspaper's on the doorstep every day. I don't know about this radio thing. And certainly radio shows have come and gone, so your dad was on to something there. Although, ultimately, the way it worked out for you, radio was a better choice than newspaper. So Ralph's, You did both for five years to make sure you got locked in. Ralph's Twitter wire says he's gone from Wyoming to Arizona to North Carolina. Yeah, okay, I'm just looking yeah. at it right now. But see, the yes. cool thing so is he now... he was in Arizona for a while. So the cool thing is now, wherever you are, there's so much available to you. I mean, if you're a Pac-12... There's satellite channels devoted to it, and you can flip around on different shows. Seattle... San Francisco, Phoenix. Is a Lewis song? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Seattle, nice. San Francisco. Nice. Yeah. Where's the heart of rock and roll? 
Is it still beating? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> In Cleveland. And this Ra- Ralph looks like he is a uh, some type of media member. Podcast host of Pac-12 Apostles. Yeah. The Quorum of the Twelve. Always looking, for, uh, always looking for topics and what people are talking about and stuff that's going on. So, boys, I'm elite. And my supporting cast, Jake Hatch and David James, they're elite, too. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> well, back to a football should be my wheelhouse. You've spent enough time watching it. <laughs> I've only been following it for 40 freaking years since I was a youngster. I mean, it was a big deal where I was. And then moving to uh, moving to California, that's the thing about the colleges is that it's, it's personal. And when I worked at the Daily Breeze, you had all these guys went to SC, a couple of them went to UC Los Angeles and here and there. And here I come. This outsider, dude. I always managed to find myself going into places where I'm an outsider. Hmm. And uh, so I was the only one coming over from the desert. And we used to just have knockdown, drag out fights. That, that's where I really became uh, far more of a Sun Devil fan because they like forced me because they were pumping up. And SC was pretty good, obviously. I used to root for them to lose so passionately and not so much anymore. But I've been following this conference for years. You and were there in the right decade. USC in the eighties. That was not their. That was not their best time. No, but the fans didn't. No, they didn't care. They kept they running. Still it. acted like it was their best time. So sure, but uh, that's when UCLA won three in a row, and your Devils had their day. Yeah, I was living there. <laughs> yeah, we just sir. literally just moved over there my first year. When they won the conference, went to the Rose Bowl, and they uh, had guys then that yeah, Helton's record towers over some of what some of those people did. So yeah, so I follow this conference passionately, and uh, Ralph has noticed we are freaking elite. Feels good to be elite. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm currently drafting an email. Asking Who says for that? Promo. <laughs> Who says that? How many other people in your life have you heard say feels good to be elite? Well. <laughs> It's not like I get compliments every day. I stick my neck out. I get bashed. So when I finally get a compliment, I better freaking run with it. If I was like everybody else in this market, I'd retweet it and like it and (laughs) repost it 500 times. I love the retweeting of compliments. (laughs) (laughs) Can't can't bring myself to do that. Bad time to tell you that. You want to tweet back at him, thanks or something, sure. But just hit retweet without a comment. You can do it. No. I mean, I'm no, I'm talking to Yawk. Yawk can do it, uh, but I'm not. Yeah, it cracks me up. Look at me. I, I, yep. I don't. The great thing about me is I know I'm really good, and so I don't need any validation. It's not like I get it anyway. I go to bed each night saying that was a heck of a day by PK. <laughs> and Ralph has recognized it. So all you people who said I'd never make it, yeah, you, you, and you. I'm elite. All right, DJ and PK, coming up, Riley Jensen, college football insider, mental performance coach, joins us, and we'll get his thoughts on the quarterback battles, the former Aggie quarterback. We'll do that next. Stay with us. 
DJ and PK in the morning is proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. Matt George, host of Locked On Kings, is going to join us coming up in one hour. The Jazz getting Hassan Whiteside from Sacramento. He signs as a free agent. Did not have a good year last year. Had had several good years before that. So they're getting Hassan Whiteside, but are they getting Hassan Whiteside? Exactly. <laughs> and we'll talk with Matt George about that coming up in an hour. And also, former Utah State star Nunez Keda is in Sacramento now. So I think he's going to make the team. I think he's an NBA player just for his defensive presence. I've always felt that. So that's Matt George coming up in one hour. We're going to talk college football here momentarily with Riley Jensen. We've got a question of the day up. The coaches poll is Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State is the top four. How boring and predictable at the highest level has college football become? And the largely, largely, if I had to sum up all the answers, the answer would be very. Very boring, very predictable. Sports, it's our, it's our soap opera, PK. It's our drama. It's our unscripted, crazy, you never know what's going to happen, except in college football you tend to largely know what's going to happen. We got three to three and a half months now of Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State beating everybody up. Yeah, and you know, you turn on, I, like, I used to like to watch game day, really loved game day on Saturday mornings. Soured on it? Yeah, because it's the same teams. And I, they're they're they care about ratings and all, so they need to talk about those teams. I don't blame them. So it's not even so much where they go; it's once they get there, they start hitting the topics, and you know who it's going to be. Yeah. And then they have something in there that involves death to pull out uh, your heartstrings, and then they bring on five minutes to ten a celebrity pick, and then it's over. I only usually watch the last fifteen to thirty minutes of game day. That's about it. I used to watch at least an hour, hour oh, and a yeah. half. But see, I get up later on Saturday than you do. After five days of getting up for radio, I'm ready to sleep. But I could watch. I like watching it at the gym. So you're like up an and hour, at them. An hour, yeah. an hour yeah. and a half. You're up having and at, at the gym. Yeah, I still watch it, but it, you don't enjoy it as much. Not as much. No. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK. It's time to talk college football with Riley Jensen, college football insider and mental performance coach. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at SmartRain.net. Riley, good morning. What's up, you sorry dudes? Good to have you back. Screw you, I'm elite. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> a guy tweeted that, Adam. That's why it's a yeah, yeah. A guy no, outside I, the market. first team all I get it. I mean, look, look. <laughs> just the the word elite and and Patrick Kinahan, they just kind of go together, right? Oh, it's like a we, peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> I'm more peanut butter and jam. Jam is just I another word for jelly. No, jelly is strained. There's no fruit in jelly. It's just the juice and the sugar. Jam will have chunks of fruit in it. Oh, you act like you're healthy, dude. You're not. <laughs> I know. That's why I'm going for the more sugar with the fruit in it. Okay. <laughs> Didn't follow that, clearly. All right, Riley. Uh, we have you on to talk football, but let's just talk quarterbacks. Let's get right in your wheelhouse. I know the competition's going on, and they don't let us watch practice, so there's not much we can add, but I also know that you talk to people, and you know people who know people. So... Who's the starting quarterback going to be up on the hill at the U? It's going to be Charlie Brewer. <laughs> I don't. I mean, look, 
I, I know they want to make it a competition. They 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 love to make it. But even yesterday, just listening to the comments of the coaches, I was I was like, oh man, he just totally stood. He, he just stood up for Charlie Brewer right there, right? And you guys, you guys did a great job of asking him some questions that made him have to think about it, you know. And, the, and somebody asked a question about like, well, doesn't it help, you know, that this quarterback knows the play. And then he's like, yeah, but Charlie Brewer, I mean, he's come here and he's studied it and he's right there and like, like neck and neck, you know? And I was like, oh, okay. Coach, it's not somebody, gotcha. it's me who asked the question. It's nobody. <laughs> That's what I thought. You're it was elite. an elite question, so I don't yeah, know Yeah, there it is. Well played, Riley. You're the man. So no, I'm but, wondering, you know, <laughs> no, finish your thought. Go ahead. No, I just think I, I just think that Charlie Brewer, he, he just checks all – all the boxes for a Kyle winning quarterback. Okay, so he had, he had a dad that played at Texas, played quarterback. His uncle played quarterback at Texas. His grandpa played quarterback at Texas. Texas has a reputation for being tough. He went to Lake Travis. He set all these records. He's He's got that Texas toughness, or at least that's the perception that we're getting, right? And I think that checks the boxes right now for Kyle. He's a small dude, man. I wonder and worry, not on worry about it, but wonder, you know, if that will uh, come back to haunt them as far as injury. And I also think that too, it, Rising wins the job last year, and unfortunately he got hurt. And unfortunately it was only five game season anyway. So I guess if you're going to get hurt, it's a good year to get hurt in. But you know, you look at their program and bringing in these guys for a year. F- fortunately. Uh, last year wasn't a, a full season, but it would have been a waste now in retrospect to play Bentley all that time at, at the expense of Rising and didn't come to pass. They didn't play a lot of games because of uh, the COVID and then, of course, uh, Rising's injury. So if they go like 5-4 and four in conference and you're playing Brewer, to me that's a waste because you've stalled Rising's development, and so you look at what they did with Huntley, and he goes seven and six that first year, and then comes back and is pretty doggone good, and they got two South Division titles off of it and go into the Pac-12 final. Now, of course, if Brewer leads them to the South, finish first, and if they win a conference or even get there, it's still a pretty successful year. So what do you think about that as far as bringing in a one-year dude? If he's if he hits it, like I guess Joe Burrow did for LSU, great, but you're also stalling the development of rising, and he could pay off next year. Yeah, so a couple of things. I think I, I think these are all great things to think about. Coaches that I talk to, they never think about like, well, if we go five and four, it's a waste. They're they're just thinking about like, can I win this game right here, and who gives me the best chance to win this game right here? So, yes, I think that's really fun for us to talk about and us to think about and all those things. But but they have to live in the now, right? Because nobody gives them the luxury of going, you know, you know, four and eight one year without killing them, right? So they got to win here now. The, and, and so, as a result of that, the lean always goes to the younger quarterback if it's equal, right? So, if Charlie's going to be the quarterback, he has to be significantly better. He has to be. Or else they're not going to. They're going to start rising. And so, there's always the lean that goes to the younger guy just for those development reasons that you're talking about, especially if it's a tie. So, if you're a senior going into a quarterback competition, <clears throat> you better leave no doubt that you're the guy because they won't pick you. They, they will naturally go with the younger guy. 
Now, the coaches that I've been talking to lately, though, this is where I find it really, really interesting. They have told me that that this portal thing has changed everything. It's changed everything. And even the basketball coaches that I've talked to, it's going to be very, very hard for a freshman quarterback to come in anymore and be a starter because of this portal. And you're just going to see guys that reload every year in the portal because it's not like every guy in the portal is worth offering or worth getting. But there's enough out there that they're better than what you got. And if you can offer them and if you can bring them into the program, it makes you better better instantly. Quicker than a junior college, quicker than a freshman, quicker than anything else. And so uh, this portal thing, uh, I know we're all talking about NIL and all that kind of stuff. The portal thing is changing. It's changing the landscape. And the kids that are getting hurt are the, are the seniors in high school right now because they're not even they're not even looking at them right now. They're like, oh, I can get this guy out of the portal. I can get this guy out of the portal. And, yeah, okay. I mean, I guess we have to work. I guess we have to get a freshman, right? So BYU allegedly it's a three quarterback race. Are you as definitive about the Cougars as you are about the Utes? Yes, Jaron Hall. It's going to be Jaron Hall. And look, Jaron brings so much to the. Um, he brings so much to the table as far as being able to throw the ball, being able to run the ball, being a great leader, being being a great individual. I mean, you want your quarterback to be the CEO of your team. You want him to be the guy. I mean, you can't have the village idiot running your squad, right? And and he knows what he's doing, and he he has been in this program. He's paid his dues, and I think that he has the potential to be a really, really good quarterback, especially with the receiving core and, you know, Dallin Holker coming back from a mission at tight end, and they've already got Rex there. I mean, I think there's a lot of weapons for a quarterback there. My biggest worry about him, and I'm, and this is just me speaking honestly and out loud, is when I saw him get the concussion in the Utah State game, it set off all kinds of alarms for me because that was not – that was not your normal big hit concussion type hit. In fact, when I was rewinding it in that game and everything, I couldn't even find where he really got hit in the head. And maybe he got hit in another play and just played a few more and then finally told somebody. But to me, I'm, I'm very concerned about how easily that, that he was concussed in that game. And I'm just concerned about what, what happens going forward in the future because Jalen is at his best when he can run – when he can scramble and when he can do those things. And, and he's a very, very good, good football player. He, he, I think the biggest challenge for him is he's just got to be him. He doesn't have to be Zach Wilson. He doesn't have to be Ty Detmer. He doesn't have to be any of the quarterbacks of old. He just has to be Jalen Hall. And if, he's, and, if, and if he's the best version of himself, that's a really, really good college quarterback. Yeah, I remember seeing that too and wondering where he got hit. I remember that specifically. So uh, you were adamant. There was no question. You quickly went to Hall without reservation, and, and I certainly think you're right, and I've thought that for a good while. Uh, the thing that I find interesting is that in these cases, you see quarterbacks leave, but BYU not only has quarterbacks not leaving, they have quarterbacks joining the program. Uh, what would you advise if, if uh, and you were a kid who moved around a little bit yourself, if uh, – particularly Romney and even Connor, if they came to you and said, okay, Hall's the guy, and we're even or I'm a grade behind him uh, as far as playing time, what would you say? 
Well, it's, it's, I, this would be the worst time to ask me because of the portal, right? And because of the things that are going on in the portal, it's a lot easier to transfer now. You get one free transfer without any penalty to your, you know, to your eligibility. When I transferred, I lost a year and that was, that was, that was really, really hard. And that was a difficult decision to make, you know, up until this, this portal transfer and this free transfer, I mean, my, my mindset, if, if, if I'd had a kid or a nephew or anybody that would, you know, would be good enough to play and wasn't playing somewhere was like, Hey, go to the school that you love, pick a school that even if the coaches leave, or if you're not starting, you would love being at school there. You would love the degree that you're getting and just stick it out and be resilient largely in part because my experience was, it was good. And, and I think most people would love to, you know, start their senior year at, at the school that they transferred to. But I think there's just something to the resilience and the grit of staying and sticking something out. But <laughs> this portal thing kind of changed things. I mean, you look at a guy like Charlie Brewer who threw for a bajillion yards in 2019, and now he's in the – He's in a transfer transfer portal, and and he can have an opportunity to play at Utah in the Pac-12 with a chance to win, you know, a South Division championship and a conference championship. It's hard. It's it's hard to say what I would tell my son, and and especially at a school like BYU. Uh, you know, you're at a, you're at a good school, you're in a good place, you're in a safe place for your kid. Um, but these guys want to play. I mean, I guarantee you, R- Romney. And and I and by the way, when I when I say definitively that I think it's Jalen Hall, that's that's not to say that I don't love the way Romney plays. I actually think that and and look, I don't, I don't want it to sound like blasphemy because I know what this is going to sound like when I say it. But but he's a he's a poor man's Joe Montana. He's deceivingly fast. He can run better than you think you can. He makes great decisions with his arm, and and is very cerebral in that position. And so, you know. Knowing the history of Jalen Hall and that he's had some injuries and those sorts of things, if I'm if I'm Romney, I'm sticking it out and I'm like, I'm going to be the guy that can make the good decisions and can and can help this team and and make a, a significant impact on this team if I stick around. Is that the kind of deal where <clears throat> if Hall has an injury, who plays depends on when it happens? Will be the same quarterback based on whether it happens in the third quarter and you got to go win the game now, or uh oh, he's out for three weeks. Hey, let's play Conover and play the long game here, or it'll be the same backup no matter what. Ooh, that's a that's a really good question. Uh, I'm elite. I, I'm elite too. I've never been in a situation where I had so much depth at quarterback that I could like think that way. So I, this is a really good question because. From all accounts, Conover is a very, very capable and very good quarterback. And, you know, now with the redshirt rule, you can play him, you know, basically in four games without without counting towards their redshirt. And, you know, I'd be interested to get him in in certain situations, especially like blowouts and different things like that. So maybe, maybe you have a guy like Conover who is playing mop-up time for the four games that he can play, but your real second-string guy – is is Romney? Uh, you know, these are all these are really really significant questions because you do have to think about the long term. And just like you were talking about with with rising, Patrick, you know, you, you do have to think about the development of your next quarterback. It can't just be all about the guy that's there. You do have to think about the future. And there's no replacement for live repetitions in games, even if it's against 
you know, to still, you know, um, align from a long time ago, even if it's against Bo Diddley Tech, if he's getting live reps in a game, right, he's, he's going to be better in the future. So you say in blowouts, you're talking about that second game when the Cougars are hammering the Utes in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I can't really verbalize what I'm trying to say, so thank you, everybody. He, he's elite. <laughs> he's elite. Speaking of elite, this uh, Dustin Smith, who runs uh, the elite quarterback uh, thing, you probably have some interaction or know of him, QB elite. We had him on the other day, and he was talking about the University of Utah not recruiting kids uh, at quarterback in Utah and going to other places around the country, and he even included Arizona and Idaho in there. And we were trying to figure out, there's been a couple of quarterbacks who have gone, obviously Wilson they didn't recruit, and then there's the Cooper and then Dart down at SC. have there been others that we missed? And I'm not even sure about the background of Cooper and Dart as far as recruiting goes, as far as how much the Utes recru- recruited them or didn't recruit them. But do you think it's an issue of Utah not looking at local guys enough? Um, I think it's, I think that's an interesting question and an interesting scenario. Cooper was not recruited. Zach Wilson was not recruited. I know that I know that Dart was offered, but he was offered a little bit later and it was kind of on the down low right and so it didn't i don't i don't think it made him feel all the love that maybe he wanted although i don't think jackson dart would have been a good fit at the university of utah so maybe that was the that was the game that that utah was playing like look we we kind of need to make sure that we're keeping this guy warm but he's probably not going to come here anyway the interesting part that the university of utah is in is the top tier quarterbacks in the country are getting offered really, really early now. I mean, really early. And it feels like to me that a Utah quarterback, a kid out of the state of Utah, and I think this is changing because of Zach Wilson, and I think it's changing because of Cam Cooper, and I think it's changing because of Jackson Dart, is that they typically got offered like just before their senior year, but a lot of quarterbacks are offered before their junior year or in camp just before their junior year because people were like, oh, this guy's legit. He's going to be a starter. I've talked to his coach. This guy's a big-time guy. Or they've already started as a sophomore. And so I think the the difficulty for Utah is they've gotten in this position of like, okay, we have decided to offer this guy. Are we going to stay true to our word? And are we going to like really stay with this? Or are we going to be like the team that just offers like three quarterbacks and whichever one is tough enough to stay with the offer – is the one that we stay with. And so far, Utah has decided that they're going to honor their commitment, right? And they're, they're not going to offer somebody else. They're going to stay with their commitment. And I think that's put them in a tough situation with kids from Utah because, you know, I mean, Jackson Dart, by all intents and purposes, in my opinion, should have been offered a lot earlier than he was. But he benefited from a COVID season and then being on national TV, on ESPN, and finally started getting the offers and the, and, and the things that he wanted. and But that was late in the game. And so it's just really, really interesting to think. I don't think that they're not looking at Utah quarterbacks. I think that what happens, though, is if there's a really good quarterback that comes up from out of state, do I wait to see if a Utah kid develops or do I offer him now? And I think, I think Utah's probably doing it right. But I think as we continue to see some of these quarterbacks in the state of Utah do really, really well on the next level. 
I think they'll take a harder look at those kids. But there's a lot of pressure on teams. I mean, I know, I know for a fact. I was talking to a Tennessee coach when Zach Wilson was getting recruited out of high school, and he wasn't a four star or a five star. And this coach loved Zach Wilson. Like he was like, dude, I would offer him right now. He goes, there's way too much pressure on me to offer a four or a five star. He goes, but he's better than all the guys we have right now. And uh, I just found that really interesting. There are some pressures in different programs to offer different guys. I'm not saying that that's the case at Utah yet, but there's different things that go into why you offer a quarterback and who you offer and, and when you offer them. How much will people offer these quarterbacks going into their junior year based on the camps they've seen and that kind of workout video and that? Because there aren't, just to keep it on the Utah point here, there aren't that many quarterbacks starting in Utah as a sophomore. Now, Maddox Madsen did, and maybe he's the guy we should be talking about because he got to start young at American Fork, and now he's committed to go play for the Broncos up at Boise State. Uh, but there aren't that many quarterbacks doing that. That seems like a heck of a reach to offer a kid who hasn't played that much varsity football, if any. Yeah, it's a little bit of a reach unless you unless you trust the coach at the school, right? So, for example, it's it's it's. I mean, I, I don't know that it's a hundred percent, but it, I mean, it's it's pretty secure right now that this kid that transferred up from the state of Arizona to Corner Canyon is going to start. He's going to start. Zach Wilson's brother. Yeah. Zach Wilson's brother is a sophomore. And they've already offered. And, he's already already offered. Right. Because number one, he's got an older brother who's the second pick in the draft. Right. But number two, like. If you talk to, to Eric Kerr and they're like, dude, we kind of like this guy in camp, what do you think? Uh, he's going to be a big-time quarterback, but I've got an Elite 11 quarterback transferring in. Well, we're still going to offer him. Well, go ahead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there, there is the talk. And, and college recruiters, the big thing with college recruiters right now, and I, and, and I love and I hate this in some ways because I think it eliminates some quarterbacks that can't afford to go and be on your campus and do some of those things. But everybody wants to see him in person. Everybody's highlight videos look really, really good right now. But every coach wants to see him in person. And if you get in front of a coach and he sees you in person and he's already seen a highlight film that he's somewhat impressed with, and then he sees you in person and goes, dude, that, that guy can make every throw that my quarterbacks can make right now, he'll offer you. He'll offer you when he sees you in person. And there's all kinds of opportunities to get in front of coaches now. Just tons of opportunities. The problem is you got to travel. you got to go do it. you got to – you got to play the game of Elite Eleven. You got to travel out to their camp during the summer. You got to you got to make sure that they know who you are before you go out to the camp. I mean, it's a difficult it's a difficult road to get recruited as a quarterback, and it's difficult for 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 teams to actually like recruit a quarterback and be one hundred percent sure that they're going to land on this guy. Because let's be honest, quarterbacks at every state in school state here. I mean, you're you're looking at like a 33% clip of quarterbacks that have landed. There's a, there's a lot of guys that never play and never really pan out for you. Last thing before we let you go, we always discuss um, analytics, trend stats versus just being able to make the big play in the moment, the game-winning play. And you're working for uh, as a mental uh, performance coach. You work with a lot of teams college, pro, you're working with RSL right now. They are tied for third in the West in goals scored, tied for third in fewest goals conceded, and yet in eighth place in the standing, which to my mind can only go to 
Well, you give up a late goal and you turn a win and three points into one. You never get blown out, so your goal differential is awesome. Can you? How do you? How do you deal with players when that kind of thing is going on? When there's clearly some level of competence, talent, and a potential for success, and yet something just isn't adding up. Yeah, so I think I think this can go. Uh, and, and forgive me for going back to a, a football analogy, but I remember when Gary Anderson was at Utah State the first time, the the hardest thing that he said to change in the culture at Utah State was the here we go again, right? Like, oh, here we go again. You know, with Real Salt Lake, if a goal scored on him late, you know, late in the first half or, or excuse me, late in the second half, you know, you got to fight against the here we go again, here we go again. And, um, with Utah State, there was a tradition of playing really, really good against teams, and then something would happen, and then Utah State would lose. And he told me specifically there was a game with Chucky Keaton at Hawaii where a situation had happened where it could be here we go again, and they didn't. They, they didn't allow it to happen, and they fought through it. And he said he knew at that point that this program was going to be different than it had been in a long time because they, they, they had the fortitude to like fight through it. So I think how the question is, how do you battle through something like that? I think it's how you frame it. I think it's really, really easy if you're RSL or if you're a team that's been losing close games to just kind of get in the mindset of like, well, <clears throat> here we go again. And then the way you frame it is like, man, we're just snake bit. We're doing so many good things. We're, we're scoring goals. We're doing this. We're doing that. And, and it's really easy to say, man, I'm snake bit. Instead of saying like, it's just a matter of time. You know, the dam's going to break here in a minute and nobody's going to be able to stop us. And so it's really about the frame of reference that you're looking at your performance that can be really, really important. It's like when I work with a, a baseball player, I was working with a double-A baseball player a couple of years ago, you know, and I and I was just talking to him like, so talk to me about like when you, your mindset, about your routine, when you get up to the plate, like what, what are you doing? And he goes through all these things, you know, like, you know, I, I fasten my gloves, I look over the coach, I take a deep breath, I look at the label, and I go, okay, that's good, I like your routine, but right when you get in the box, what are you thinking? He's like, I'm thinking, don't strike out. Don't strike out, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, okay, well, this is this Welcome is, to this my is life. <laughs> Thanks, right? And he's like, he's like, well, the thing is, when I hit the ball, I mean, I'm roping it, I'm, I'm, I'm lacing doubles and triples, all I gotta do is make contact, I gotta make solid contact, and I go, how about we say make solid contact <laughs> instead of don't strike out? Right? I heard a story right? once that you that as a coach, you should never say don't. That the brain doesn't really process that. And there's some story about a manager going out to the nine. You're like, don't throw him a, a strike over the middle of the plate. And so the next pitch, strike over the middle of the plate, and you know it goes 400 feet. Do you believe in that? Eliminate the don't? Yes and no. I mean, look, we... We have to we have to be able to hold up the mirror and look at things honestly and say, okay, I need to fix this or I need to fix that, right? So yes and no, but there is some truth to this because if I tell you guys don't think of a pink elephant, like don't think of a pink elephant, <laughs> don't think, think of, of a pink elephant, there's a pink elephant in your mind, and then after a second you'll make some sort of decision, like you'll change it to a pink flamingo or you'll change it to a purple elephant so that you're not thinking about those things. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about getting a frame and a mindset that can change things around a little bit, right? 
And so, long story short, there's, there's a lot of power to the way that we frame things in our lives, the way that we frame our performances, the way we frame our work, the way we frame whatever we're doing. And if we can find a way to achieve the same goal and frame it in some sort of a positive frame or in some sort of a positive mindset, it can be much more powerful for the mind to enact that than if we're saying don't strike out or don't be a slub or don't be an idiot, right? Then all of a sudden you're an idiot, a slub, and a strikeout. And so there is, there is a lot of power to it. Um, it's not absolute. It's not 100%. But I do think that there's a ton to the way that we think about ourselves and our performances. And, and that's, that's where you have to work on those sorts of things when you're a little bit in a tough situation is like you can't give up on, you, you know, the practice sessions that are going really well or things that are going really well because of a couple of, of things that have gone wrong. And a lot of times when I'm talking to coaches about that kind of stuff, I'll just say, hey, let's just change the scoreboard a little bit here, right? Let's do talk about goal differential. Let's do talk about these things. Let's talk about how there's a whole bunch of positive things going on that if we continue to do that, we're going to win a lot of games. I mean, you look at Real Salt Lake, the last game, I mean, possession was like 65%. They had all kinds of corner kicks. They had all kinds of shots on goal compared to the – and that's typically a game that you win. So you can't hang your head too much on every win and loss. you gotta, you got to know that you're doing the right things and be proud of yourself that you're doing the right things. Riley, as always, we appreciate it. PK's not the only one who's elite. You're elite too, my man. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Riley. And you know who else is elite? It's Yock. He's been chasing him. And it looks like he's landing the big fish. Yock, can you speak of it or will it jinx everything? Nope, we're good. Joe Ingles, 9 o'clock. Olympic gold medalist Joe Ingles. Olympic what? Gold, a bronze medalist. <laughs> okay. Well, in my mind, it's a gold medalist. That was uh, elite. That was elite right there. <laughs> Riley Jensen, college football insider, mental performance coach, joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles will be here at 9 o'clock, and we will reschedule Matt George, host of Lockdown Kings, to talk about Hassan Whiteside and Nimi Keita. All right, when we come back, DJ and PK. More college football on the way. Stay with us. And Joe Ingles at 9. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Time to chat with Max Tooley. Give us a story or two about your mission. Something that was unique about my mission was I was assigned to speak Mandarin on my mission. Wow. So, yeah, it was quite the, you know, the tall order. Got to serve in different areas where, uh, you know, where specific, you know, Chinese students would be. I loved my mission. That Mandarin's going to serve you well down the line for sure. There's <laughs> yeah. no doubt about that. We appreciate your time and thanks for joining us. Hey, uh, uh, Max, why me? Hawaii, huh? Yeah. All right, man. I'll see you later. I know a little Mandarin. Look at you. You just Googled that. No, I did not. I know Hawaii means I love you. Because... You just told Max Tooley I love you? Yeah, well, yeah, now that I think about it, I did. That's a little awkward. He said it back, though. Oh, this is uncomfortable. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Davis Vision loves teachers. If you're a teacher who needs LASIK, Davis Vision wants to give back. Schedule a free consultation appointment and inquire about additional savings to their summer sale price. Call them today at 801-253-3080 or check them out at davisvisionmd.com. Question of the day. Coaches poll. As Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State is the top four teams, how boring and predictable at the highest level has college football become? The answer is, oh, very. 
So let's jump forward to the next question then, PK. What breaks up the log jam? Because nothing lasts forever. Ooh, I don't know about that. In sports, nobody wins forever. Teams win a lot. 10, 15 years is forever. Okay, you got me there. (laughs) But Alabama's at 12. I mean, the literal definition of forever, no. But they do win for a long time. And here's the thing I would tell you is that it, it'll seem like they win forever because you're right. They do win for Ohio 10 State's or 15 years. Forever. Right. And what I would normally tell you is that will change when there's a coaching change. But know. Ohio State and Oklahoma have already had coaching changes, and they've kept rolling. Now, Bama and Clemson haven't. Maybe they can pull it off. Coaching changes have sunk Alabama in the past. We'll see if it happens or if this is a new era. Because here's the problem. As boring as this is, if coaching changes don't change the balance of power, then this is like a a new level in college football. I mean, we've I, seen, I think we're here at a new level. Yeah. yeah, we've seen some schools hit on back-to-back coaches in the history of the sport. USC and Oklahoma have, but we have never seen a group of teams that were on the top all hit on back-to-back coaches. That's well, really going to lock things in. But and we, then instead of ten or fifteen, you could be talking about twenty or thirty. Well, that's 30. what we're going to have. That's going to suck because. There's never been a 14 playoff until now. So these te- these kids want to play in that playoff. So go to the schools that are in the playoff. It's not hard to figure out. So comparing history is irrelevant. Because, because there's you, you, a new set of rules. Yeah. It's new guidelines. Yeah. And it used to be you can go, and then if you got voted in uh, by the Associated Press, there it was. Now you have this little committee that votes you in, and they just focus on these schools, probably deservedly so, and, and they just look at, well, who had so many kids drafted last year. It's just like, if you're recruited by Alabama, you're minimum four-star, even if you're not. I'm not going to be the one to not, wait a second, Saban wants this kid? Yeah. I'm not going to stick my neck out and be the one who votes for, uh, he's a three-star, and, so, I mean, of course you're going to be a four-star just because they're recruiting you. And that's the way it works. So everything has changed so dramatically. Maybe it changes when we go to 12. And there might be some other schools. Maybe SC can start keeping some big-time studs that literally go to Clemson or Alabama to play quarterback, which is what they're going to have this year. Maybe they can keep them home. Yeah, but that, it's going to be hard for SC to continue to get into the playoff every year. So the way it's set up now, I don't see it changing. And really hasn't changed in Ohio State in forever. <laughs> they had the, you know, the tattoo thing, and they, they, they struggled for a year or what have you. Okay, fine. You're not going to do it every single year, but virtually every single year. And the way they're going, and maybe with Oklahoma, it'll be interesting to see now as they go in the SEC. But as it stands now, that's still four or five years away. I don't think it'll extend that far out, and everything's negotiable, as you say, and I agree with you, but maybe that's a little bit of a difference there. I don't know that it'll be a difference. Maybe they just continue to win at the same level, and maybe you don't, at that they, point you can lose two games and still get in. Right, and I think they win at a pretty high level. It's not hard to figure out how they're going to split up the East and West divisions. I don't know. Is Texas A&M going to scare them? Maybe LSU? Uh, on a given they, year, got Texas. Yes. Arkansas, Missouri, I mean, they're cut above all those schools. Who's going to, the Mississippi schools? I think the West Division, the SEC East is going to be harder. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah. If Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, and Florida are all going to end up in the same division. Yeah, but even Florida's fallen off the mark a sure. little bit. I mean, they don't have Urban. But if you look at the five teams that have historically dominated the SEC, four of them are going to be in the East, and LSU is going to be in the West. So, Oklahoma's path is maybe not easy, but well, it's if not Texas that hard. ever gets back to what they were, then that would be another difficult. But sure, I mean, they are, they know that, and they're just going to amp it up. They're going to make more money, so they're going to invest more. So now each coach on a recruiting trip is going to have a private plane. Well, the best and the best <laughs> recruiters are all going to be getting a million bucks. And then I mean, we're we're going to get yeah, to the point. Yeah. And the players are going to be first. Getting a million it was head bucks. coaches getting a million bucks. Yeah, yeah, well, Alabama says they've already got that. Then it was coordinators getting a million bucks. It's going to be the position right. coaches. And then when you land, they uh, take you by helicopter to the kid's house. I mean, who knows? I mean, it'll so, be a drone that just like picks you up by the shoulders. They'll just have more <laughs> to offer, not less. And with this NIL, there's been an argument that I can conceivably have no problem agreeing with that the rich are going to get richer. Yeah. Well, everyone will get local money, but who's going to get national money? Because it's going to happen. The kid f- from. Oh, Alabama, Tech, Alabama's the Dallas area, yeah. who wanted to go, to, he doesn't Ewers. want to play his senior year. Well, he's going to Ohio State. He's not going to North Texas to uh, cash in. He's not staying local. He's going to Ohio State. So I don't see this ending. I, I think that to me, it, it doesn't take away my love of the Pac-12 and whoever wins that. That's still a big deal to me, to play in a Rose Bowl, and maybe because that's the way I grew up, and maybe a younger generation is going to downgrade to granddaddy. Maybe that's the way it turns out. But for me, winning the South is a big deal. Winning the North is a big deal. Winning the Conference is a big deal. Maybe it doesn't resonate on the national scale, but it's like TV ratings. I don't care what the things that I want to watch are as far as TV ratings. If I like to watch it, who cares if it's popular or not? And maybe that's the way I'll look at college football going forward. I'll be interested in my conference. Always will be interested to the rest of my life. And if it doesn't resonate nationally, so so be it. There's a lot of that going on in sports now anyway. I agree. Sports is is local. I was just talking with Josh Newman. At uh, Utah, you know, he's been here a while, so he's getting into the storylines. He's a sports fan. He follows multiple sports, not just the ones he covers. Uh, and, and he says, man, I talked to my friends in New York, and like, Donovan Mitchell's exciting. The Jazz are good. And they're like, doesn't resonate. I'm like, all sports is local. People in New York don't want to think that. But what matters to New York? Mostly New York and then Boston. Maybe Philly. I said, really? Does anyone in New York care about the Wizards? And he just shook his head. He goes, no, they don't. I'm like, yeah, they're not local. They're too far away. They're not, they're not interacting with that many people from that area who, pas- who are passionate about mm. their team. Yeah, I know. So yeah. all sports is local, and 40% of the people are in the East Coast time zone, and that's why there's an East Coast bias built in. And if we move back there, we'd buy right into it. Moving one time zone east, I follow the teams that I grew up in California and Major League Baseball at a w- much lower level. When I was there and it, it was just easier and I was surrounded by a lot of people who cared. So even if I checked out, they drew me back in with a conversation. That's what happens now with the Utes and Cougars. I get drawn in by people who are like, hey, what about this? What about that? And they get you fired up. All sports is local. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's a win ticket Wednesday. We're going to give away tickets next, and a lot of you are going to want these tickets.
There is no doubt there are people who are going to be lighting up the phones. Don't call now. Yach's doing important stuff. But in a few minutes, we'll give them away. Stay with us. And then Joe Ingles at 9. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. I think you and I both throw the Jazz offseason into the tinkering category. I don't think either one of us thinks they're automatically the favorite in the NBA now, but think that they're a better squad than they were last year. Exactly. In the West, I don't think anybody really got better. No, and that's why the Jazz holding the ground that they've already won and then gaining a little more ground is a smart move. For those who argued last year was the Jazz only chance because the door was wide open, I think it's still going to be wide open. There have been years when you look around the conference and you think, oh wow, that team really got better. What are the Jazz going to do with that? This is a year where I think the Jazz edged in a positive direction as much as anybody, and probably more. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It is a win tickets Wednesday. PK, you are country music guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Top touring acts. Can you do like a top five, top 10, top 20? I mean, you follow a lot of people. I mean, for me personally, I could, but I don't know if that, how that corresponds yeah, to the actual. right. I mean, it's always, but it would be ballpark to the actual. I mean, you're not that big an outlier. You like the big acts. Uh, I'm a little more selective, but I get your point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, are we going Dirks Bentley? Yeah, Dirks Bentley. I'm thinking that's a top 10, certainly oh, top, top 20, 10? but yeah, it's got to be I top think, 10. I would think so. Yeah. Women I, love Dirks Bentley. You what? Women love Dirks Oh, really? Yeah. All right, ladies. Yeah. Two tickets. <laughs> or guys, if you know your, uh, your significant other likes Dirks Bentley, well, call now. 855-340-ZONE. sexy. 855-340-ZONE. Reminds me of you. Got a couple of tickets. Dirks Bentley brings his... He ignores that. Dirks <laughs> Bentley brings his Beers on Me tour to Salt Lake City for one night of hit after hit country music. Call it 12 right now. We'll win two tickets to see Dirks Bentley this Friday, August 13th, USANA Amphitheater. It's brought to you by LiveNation.com. If you don't win two tickets now, Hans and Scotty will have a couple tickets to give away. The Big Show will have a couple tickets to give away. It's a win tickets Wednesday. And LiveNation.com has got tickets to go see Dirks Bentley this Friday, August 13th, two days away. Coming up, Joe Ingles is going to join us at 9 o'clock. We're going to have Matt George on, host of Locked on Kings, to talk Hassan Whiteside, who's coming from the Kings, to join the Jazz. And, of course, the Kings also have Nimi Keita from from Utah State, and we moved him to tomorrow at 9 o'clock. I want to talk to him about what went on with Hassan, but I also want to talk to Joe. Joe, I know you're listening right now. Thank you. Love you. Congratulations. That didn't sound very genuine. It was genuine. Yeah. Won the bronze. I mean, it was a big step forward for Australia. You know, where do they go from here? We were talking off the air. It seems like Australia is developing as a basketball country. And so, obviously, that's going to help their national team. And then uh, Mike Conley talked about Joe uh, badgering him to resign. And Joe had said he was going to go back to his uh, palatial estate back there if he had to and force him to sign. And what does he think about Rudy Gay and Hassan Whiteside? He's been in the NBA now a number of years, so certainly he's aware of these guys, has played against them for a long time. What does he think about that? And what does he need to do to recuperate, you know, because it's been an intense several months for him and he doesn't have as long to recuperate? Nope. 
Because no, normally guys get back. He, he would be, in a normal season, he'd be coming back to the U.S. here in a week or so to get ready because they have what they, uh, well, they call it open gym. I mean, De- J- J- Justin Zanuck referred to it open gym because that's where they think that uh, uh, Butler can get going so he can be ready when training camp comes. So everything comes at you fast. But what does Joe need? Does he need to stay off his feet for a little bit? Or can he afford to at approaching 34 years of age? Is he have to make sure that his body uh, stays and he can't sit around for too long? A whole bunch of questions. And then he's just Joe, so you never know where it's going to go anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Yeah. Wild card. All right. It does seem like Australia is trending up. There's a whole generation of players who've seen the success that these guys have had, first in U.S. colleges. Certainly across the NBA now, now Olympic bronze, so that figures. And they've got a system in place, too. You know, they've got that uh, program in Canberra, and it seems to be cranking out a lot of players. So seems like the arrow will continue to be up for Australia. Joe Ingles, coming up next. Stay with us. DJ and PK reminding you to join the big show Friday at the warehouse from 2 to 7 o'clock. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. I'm ready for it. Boom! All right, Joe Ingles is going to join us here momentarily. Bronze medalist at the Olympic Games. And now the countdown is on to start of the next NBA season. They usually start coming back to town in September and playing pickup games, so it's a month away. Yeah, I've been sharpening the J. Oh, really? Uh-huh. You're going to get down there, show them how it's done? And based on hook shot, I'm your guy. Because Kareem is busy this year. How does that work? Do like Donovan's well, you, teams no, win you all just the have games? to eye the basket. And Not then that you, part. Oh, well, you asked me how does, does it work. Does Donovan and I followed up with Does Donovan's team <laughs> win all the games? No. Okay. Load up the other team. Uh, I think there's enough talent there that can be spread around. Little three on three, little five on five. Give Donovan a couple rookies. Put more three point shooters on the other team. Been watching a little summer league, but it doesn't look like any of those guys crack the rotation unless there's injuries. It's a veteran rotation set up to win now, really not set up for the 20 something guy. It's Whiteside for favors, it's Rudy Gay for Niang. And maybe a few minutes slide around a little bit as they work on a small ball five. But I don't think a small ball five brings another guy into the rotation. It's just a question of which group of bigger players, forward types, best match up with who they're playing. Yeah, but I'm not going to limit anybody, man. I want to see what they can do. And I'm also not going to uh, entitle anybody. No one's guaranteed anything. Too close to a championship for that. Yeah, so if you make a move that gets you over the hump, you got to make the move. Whatever you've got, whatever you get, it's got to be earned. Now, certainly, if if Donovan Mitchell starts out the season in a shooting slump, you're not going to bench him. I understand that, uh, and it's probably not going to be a shooting slump anyway because if he's not hitting from the outside, he's got the ability to get to the bucket and do all sorts of stuff. But uh, you know, I want it to be earned. I want them to have an edge right from the start because this is a chance. It's a chance of a lifetime. All right, it is time for the rare summertime visit from the Olympic bronze medalist. Hey, yeah! 
This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. <laughs> With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Joe Ingles joins us now on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Joe, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Still got the medal around your neck? I've got no, I haven't got much of a voice left, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't right now. I just went to Jacob's school to drop him off, so um, no, I wasn't going to uh, make this trip. <laughs> I, I personally, if I think if I won an Olympic medal, which I'm not going to, but if I did, I think I would wear it around when I drop kids off at school, just wear it to the grocery store or whatever. Just wear it. Uh, yeah, I, I actually took, I took Jacob to school yesterday, and all his teachers, when I dropped him off, were very surprised that I didn't have it on. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the last 72 hours that I went through before that, before landing here, was pretty rough. So, um, yeah, good to take a break. <laughs> I heard there was some commotion at the airport that people were waiting for you. Would you come in on Monday night? Um, I have no idea what day it is now, and I don't know what day I got in. <laughs> Um, but I mean, it, people are there, like my family. Is that what you, they're the only people that I wanted at the airport? Right, but um, I heard that people knew you were coming in with your with your with your medal and everything, and they were there to congratulate. Maybe not, but that's what I'd heard. Yeah, someone liked you. It was just my family. Well, after everyone was real cool, then after you turned around and walked away, people were staring at you then because there were people texting on the plane and going nuts and all that kind of stuff. So I'm curious, you you told us you wanted the you wanted a medal, and Australia had been 0 for 8 in games with medals on the line, and you lost the semi, so it was 0 for 9. So I'm curious, in the middle of that game, knowing how bad you wanted it, was it just another basketball game, or was it a different deal because you knew what was at stake every minute of the game? Um, I mean, it was it was probably the most different feeling I've had in a basketball game, if, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, like you said, I think all time for, for playing off for a medal, whether that be the semifinal or a third, fourth game, we were 0-11. So, um, obviously, as a country, our first Olympics was 1964, I think it was, which was in Tokyo, um, which is coincidental, but... Um, so to go through all those Olympic campaigns and, and World Cups, obviously, between that as well, but, but never medal. And um, We built this thing for 12 years since, since Patty and myself joined it in 2007, 2008. And, um, obviously, the goal was to, to win a gold medal. That's what I don't think any team was going there to lose or to, to not play well or, or whatever. And um, once we lost the semifinal to, to the U.S., um, it's a it's a weird feeling because you're frustrated because you lost the game and we were up 15 at one point in that game so we knew obviously we could have beat them if we kept and, and played um, a bit more consistently obviously we knew how good a team they were um, 
and it's a hard thing. And I think what we've struggled with in the past is, I guess, the mental part between losing that game and in 36 hours having to back it up to, to still play off for a medal. And we've the, the last three. In the group, the guys that had been there those last few campaigns, there was, there was just no way we were going to lose. Um, obviously, we were up against a, a hell of a team, and, and obviously Luca. But um, the, the vibe was really good within that group. And I obviously personally feel like we, we were just never going to lose that game. So you talk about how this is a 12-year mission, basically, for Australian basketball. Uh, how much have you seen the Australian basketball as a whole in a country, and then in your particular case, the national team, progress over those 12 years? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a 65-year mission, really, since we first made the Olympics. But it's um, obviously, since I've been involved, we've been going pretty hard on this. Um, I think a lot of it, too, is that the mindset that, that teams or organizations or whatever it is businesses have and um, we never had a not that we ever had a bad culture or, or mindset but I I think the, the 12 years ago 10 years ago once we, we've been to a, a campaign or two shifting the mindset from just dying and obviously hoping to, to win some games to like we, we, we can win this thing like we can genuinely and, and obviously like I said it took time but I remember 2008 and 2012 in, in Beijing and London, we crossed over with America. And, I mean, going into the game, I was young and pretty immature as well, but um, we knew for us to win that game, something pretty miraculously had to happen. And the, the mindset shift from, from then to what it has been for the last kind of eight years of, of these last few campaigns and, and World Cups and stuff, um, we've gone to, to win the tournament out of the 32 teams in the World Cup and the 16 at the Olympics, um, our mindset has been to, to win a gold medal. And that's been, obviously, you guys have, have heard us talk about it. It's been in the media. It's been every interview we've talked about. And it's it's a very different mindset than what we had in 2008. Um, even the guys, one of our assistant coaches was my roommate in 2008 and, and the captain of our team then. And he, he would tell you, now our coach was, our coach that we just had, he was our same coach in, in Beijing as well. And very, very different mindset. And the gold medal and the, the, that mindset wasn't just the players or the, 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 the coaches. It was the, the staff. It was the physios. It was the Basketball Australia admin. It was the, the media lady. We had, everybody had to have a standard of gold medal. Like that's, the, that's the standard. If you don't want to kind of advise to that standard, then we don't want you a part of this this, this uh not a not an organisation, but this uh, this team, I guess, and um, it, it's taken some time. And, and I think obviously we've got got great people in, in all those roles. And everything we did from from the minute we got to Irvine in in Los Angeles for our first camp was a gold medal standard. And I think the disappointment from the US game, and then to, to bounce back the way we did, and again, obviously giving. Slovenia and Luca a lot of credit because I don't think anyone even expected them to be in the tournament from, from the teams they had to play as well to, to even qualify and for them to get through that and keep playing and, and make the top four is a, a hell of an effort and um, again we knew what we were up against but um, yeah I just like I said before I, there was just no doubt in my mind we were, we were going we to lose that game. 
So what is the reaction like from Australia? Obviously, you haven't been able to go home in a while, but you're still tied into people there. What, what happens to your phone when you finally get that medal? Oh, it was unbelievable. Um, and I think the other part, which, which obviously we understood as, as a team, was um, uh, Australia's been in and out of lockdowns, and they're actually currently right now in um, a two, three, four, I don't know how many weeks they're up to, but um, in a pretty strict lockdown. So they've been stuck in their houses, can only leave for a couple of things. And um, the, the joy that it brought kids, families, parents, grandparents, people that have watched our team, people that support Australia, um, the, the joy and happiness that it brought so many people was, was such a good feeling. Um, so obviously that was, that was, that was awesome to, to feel and hear those messages. And then, um, I mean, friends, family, random people. <laughs> I think I've, I, I still haven't, um, I literally have not looked at any of the messages in my phone yet. Um, and there's a lot of them and I'll eventually slowly get back to people. But, um, I mean, post, post game was obviously celebration time for us. Um, right after the game up until, um, I landed in, in Salt Lake. So, um, it, it's been a long, it was a long 72 hours and been nice to, to celebrate and, and obviously spend some time with Renee and the kids and obviously the kids understanding. Um, I walked through the, the terminal to, to get out to the kids um, a couple of days ago and the first thing Miller said was like, where's your medal? Like, for, and for her to, to understand it and, and want to see it was, was obviously pretty special. But it's, um, yeah, my phone's got a lot, of, a lot of messages that I'll eventually get back to. But um, yeah, it's been a, like I said, it's been a long 72 hours. So what do you need to do now as far as preparing for the season? Do you need to just veg for a little bit, or how are you going to handle that? I mean, in the nicest possible way, I haven't even thought one second about it. Um, again, it's been a, a hell of a five or six weeks and 12 years leading up to this. And um, right now I'm enjoying my time at home with, with the kids and heading away tomorrow for a little bit just to spend some some time on the beach with, with the kids, Miller and Jacob. I've only talked about Dad and the beach for about two months here, so we're going to go spend some time together. Um, I haven't spoken to one person from the Jazz yet in terms of um, when to be back or, or what the scheduling looks looking like. Um, I think they're in—I don't even know—I think they're in Vegas right now, aren't they? Yeah. I don't even know where they are. Yeah. Um, I've been honestly completely kind of switched off from that part of the world because uh, we've, we've been so locked in on on this goal and. Um, yeah, once I get a couple of days here away, I'll, I'll obviously reach out to some people and, um, yeah, just kind of see what the plan going forward is. But, um, yeah, to, I guess, simply ask and answer your first question, a, a bit of rest is definitely first and foremost, and um, spending time with my, my family. Joe Ingles joining us. Joe, you're going to trash talk Rudy. I mean, he gets silver, you get bronze, but that's just because they ran into the United States later and you ran into him earlier. I think you're going to have a word with him. Well, they're the only team that lost in the last two games, I think. America won, and we won. So they're the only team that got a, got a medal and lost. So, um, but no, no, it was... I mean, obviously, yeah, the, the way they played the, the second round or whatever you want to call it, they kind of just pulled them out of the hat and you just get kind of placed wherever. And obviously a couple of teams you can't face with, with the seedings. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was obviously happy for him as well and um, got to see him, uh, obviously, at the, the medal celebration. And, um, 
yeah, happy for him. I don't know where he is either right now. I think he's in Paris somewhere. Um, but yeah, pretty cool to, to have two guys with, with medals coming back and um, obviously at some point we'll, we'll get back to the, the facility and have plenty of, of stories to share. So do you even know that the Jazz re-signed Conley, signed Rudy Gay, his son Whiteside, and traded for uh, Pascal Mitchell's friend? Um, yeah, look, I know a little bit of pieces. I, I've, I've honestly been so switched off from it. Um, again, not in a, a negative way or anything, but I've, I've tried to stay so locked in on what this goal was, and, and obviously it was worth, worth every minute of it because we, we brought a medal home. But um, obviously you do see the things that have gone on and um, yeah my phone blew up a couple of times with some nice trade rumours which was nice to wake up to when I'm <laughs> trying to get ready for a, a semi final and everyone's asking me when I'm leaving yeah, what do you um, think about playing for the Warriors Joe <laughs> I mean a part of it's like it, it obviously pisses you off because you especially me like I've obviously never asked or thought about leaving um Obviously, a part of it is out of my control. If they don't want me, then they don't want me. And I'm not going to sulk about it. I'll go. I'll, uh, I'll do whatever I'm kind of told to do or traded to do, whatever the... I don't know how. I've never really been in any of those rumours. So, um, yeah, obviously, I woke up and was a little bit surprised, I guess. But, um, again, uh, I, think I, I think I called Renee and was like, what the F? And then... <laughs> Again, it was like, obviously, it's out of my control, and I've had, at the time, I had way bigger things going on, and um, had friends texting me asking what's going on, and, and if it's true, or whatever, and I mean, you're better off calling, I said, I told them, I mean, you guys can ask somebody, Justin, so it's out of my control, so I was trying to get ready for our our games, and, and focus on that, and um, obviously, a little bit of a distraction, but it is what it is, it's part of, uh, part of, part of this business. Well, you know, the other way to look at it, and possibly you don't look at it like this, the other way to look at it is the Warriors aren't making any moves without Steph Curry signing off on stuff. Somebody wanted you. And that they that there would be any traction at all. The offer must have been pretty good, and the Jazz apparently didn't want to do it because you're still playing for the Jazz. Does any of that flatter you? Any part of that? Or the Jazz really wanted to get rid of me and they couldn't find anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a bronze medal and I'm going to the beach tomorrow. So, um, yeah, it is what it is. Like I said, it's it's a part of the business. Um, I guess you know, the, the different awkward part or whatever was I, was I was obviously heavily focused on something and my, my phone was blowing up with something. Obviously, at that point, kind of something that I didn't want to be thinking about. So, obviously, glad nothing did happen. Um, like I said, I've only really played here, um, and I've, I've obviously openly said that I only want to play here. But, um, yeah, see what happens. <laughs> Trade deadline's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it could go either way, but my guess is that you're going to be here. You're going to retire here. They're going to have a Joe Ingles day and all that stuff. Uh, in the short term as far as that uh, is it something that uh, you've been able or, or 
after they made these moves, I don't even know if you've, you've spoken out, you've been so preoccupied if you believe that the team is better now, because it looks like on paper to us anyway, and obviously we've been talking about it, that, man, you guys got a, you got a really good shot, if not a better shot, than you had this past season, next season. Yeah, obviously, obviously bringing Mike back was a, a big piece of that, and for them to be able to get that done, and um, and then the other the, the other guys we got, um, all bring I guess a, a bit of a different um, a different look to what we what we had last year um, and previous years. So um, we're probably a bit deeper, which is good as well. And um, yeah, it, it's something again. Obviously, I haven't thought too much about. It. You're literally the first person that. I've thought about it with or spoken to with. So, um, yeah, I, you obviously go in, especially from my point of view, you go in pretty confident with um, what the organisation's going to do and, and the ownership's going to do. And um, obviously they did what, what, what was felt was, was needed for, for our team. And um, obviously on the, the flip side of that, now it's on the players, on, on us to, to go out and execute and, and do what we need to do. And, um, and obviously get further than last year and, and, and keep going going forward and forward. So, um, yeah, it'll be, be nice to, again, like I said, get get away for a couple of days here and sit down and, and have a look at it all and um, obviously start reaching out to some guys and um, almost kind of switching hats back to, to the Jazz slash NBA. So, um, yeah, I'll get there soon. <laughs> yeah, well, enjoy it and soak it up for now, that's for sure. Enjoy, hey, enjoy Enjoy the beach vacation, Joe. You got your favorite beach, or you like to rotate around? Um, I know. Where, I mean, I know where I'm going. <laughs> so we, like, well, we no. Go. I, more do you always go to the same place? I don't expect you to say where it is. You don't need a bunch of jazz fans following you. But I just <laughs> wondered if you had one lockdown that you always go to, or you take different beach vacations and go different places. Yeah, no, we go different um, a lot of the time. Every All Star break and, and all that. I mean, honestly, it's it's mostly off. Um, questions of other people of, of where people have been and, and gone and, and kind of testing it out. So, um, yeah, we've got obviously be very, very low-key and um, it's purely 100% about um, being with Renee and the kids and um, like I said, it's as soon as towards the end of last season and then the, the end of the off-season, sorry, Miller and, and Jacob have, have purely been saying they want to go to the beach with Dad and it's been a constant sentence has come out of their mouth and, and I promised once we were obviously I knew what I had to do after the season and um, as soon as we had an opportunity we were going to take off so tomorrow morning it is and um, we'll go yeah go hang out and um, man it's crazy just to spend five five or six weeks away and how much bigger the twins are and Jax looks like a 18 year old kid, <laughs> little kid now uh, <laughs> it's, it's crazy how uh how short a time in the in the span of his life, but, but sure. obviously how big a difference it makes um, in the short term. So um, awesome feeling to be back, and awesome to be back in Utah. And um, yeah, we'll we'll get things going soon. All right, Joe. Well, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for squeezing us in before you uh, you head off to the beach. Cool. I'll uh, I'll speak to you guys soon. Okay, okay. Joe Ingles, join us right here on ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone. All right, <laughs> Joe on the trade. That was so Joe. <laughs> well, it's real. It is real. It's also hilarious. Oh, sure, but it's real emotion. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
people you know and where you live, and he's been here long enough to have roots in the community. And basketball is basketball, but he's got his kids here in school and drop them off. He's called us a thousand times, dropping off this son, this yeah. daughter at this place, drives, that place, and and you know it yeah. because he's doing the same route yeah. because he always hits that dead spot with the phone yeah. for a little while. It happens every time. We just yeah. kind of wait it out now because yeah. we know it's coming. And all that's got to change. His wife's involved. She's got friends, and they've made yeah. they've made a life in uh, the in in our in our valley, obviously. And that would be a massive disruption. He'll go play ball. Right. He's played ball all over the world. That's not that big of a deal. I mean, he wants to play ball here because right. of but it's everything. Australia, to Israel, stuff. to Spain, to the United States. He's adjusted. But when he's single all that time, now right. he's got kids, and he's right. got a wife, and they're they're attached kids here. Kids in school, and yeah. So, jazz folks, I'm imploring you: you simply cannot trade Joe. I don't think you have any weight whatsoever in this discussion. Joe is where he is because of me. <laughs> what are you talking about? Okay, on the radio, you've got you've got Paul there. <laughs> Come on, man! The phone's ringing. <laughs> trade offers are coming in. Jay-Z's like, okay, that's great, but I I got to talk to PK. I'll get back to you. No, I wonder if we put a poll out there with Jazz fans, if you would – because there's no guarantee, so you can't have it. And obviously, if you knew if you traded Joe and you won the title, everybody would say yes. But there are no guarantees in this thing, never, What would ever. happen is if Joe were traded, there would be massive disappointment on the front end. Now, I, I think there'd over, be sadness. Yes, I agree. There would. You're right. There would be disappointment and sadness. Now, over time, if that trade triggered the championship run, sure, people would adapt. But there's no guarantee. I think that. But you, in the you sh- ask, yeah. you want to stay and keep Joe and try to win a title, or trade him and risk it. I think if you put those two equations, that be overwhelming. overwhelming, they it would, would say. Keep Joe yeah. and try to win the thing. Yeah, it'd be. I don't even think it'd be eighty twenty. I think it'd be ninety ten. The but, connection is outrageous. Don't trade Joe. Well, they didn't. If you trade Joe, I'm going <laughs> wherever he goes. I didn't say that. Package deal. Just said I'm going. Just going across the hall to the bathroom. I'm going. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll need some time if you were to trade Joe. That would be a major blow. When we come back, everything you missed in this show will get you up to speed next. Starting quarterbacks at the U and the Y, Riley Jensen. Just incredibly definitive. We'll get to that coming up. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. I think you and I both throw the Jazz offseason into the tinkering category. I don't think either one of us thinks they're automatically the favorite in the NBA now, but think that they're a better squad than they were last year. Exactly. In the West, I don't think anybody really got better. No, and that's why the Jazz holding the ground that they've already won and then gaining a little more ground is a smart move. For those who argued last year was the Jazz's only chance because the door was wide open, I think it's still going to be wide open. There have been years when you look around the conference and you think, oh wow, that team really got better. What are the Jazz going to do with that? This is a year where I think the Jazz edged in a positive direction as much as anybody, and probably more. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Time to get you up to speed, all you 9 o'clock listeners. There's been a lot going on this morning. We had Riley Jensen on. And Riley was very definitive about who he believes the starting quarterbacks will be at Utah and BYU, and you just nodded your head because that's exactly how you think this is going to play out too. 
Well, I think Hall, I'm more confident of Hall starting at BYU. If he can stay healthy, obviously. If he can't, then they'll go another direction. And then I don't know who's going to win the backup job. That I think that has remains to be seen. And is really important given Hall's history of concussions. Well, it may not be a factor when it plays out, but yeah, on the surface it I seems think the like backup it. quarterback is important in every place, but uh, uh, certainly. Uh, here with a, with an injury history and a concussion thing, and uh, you know they say that you're more prone and all that stuff. Uh, so uh, at B at Utah, I think Rising's got a shot, but probably Brewer, yeah. And they they better cash in with Brewer. They cash in, great. But if you go eight and four, couldn't you have gone eight and four with Rising and have him be ready to go next year? Next that year doesn't argument, matter. This year, that argument makes a lot of sense. I mean, you've got to be thinking. That we are going to be, obviously, we are going to be better if we go with this guy because it's what Riley said. If it's if it's pretty much a push, well, then go with the younger guy because if you'll be the same this year, you'll be better next year. You have already broken him in. Yeah. So I think that uh, with that, once they go with Brewer, expectations are seven and two, which means ten and two. That's why I didn't. Yeah, I just looked at yeah. the conference games, but yeah. Right, you go you go ten and two, seven and two. That might not get it done, but that's still a really good season. Ten and two. You're thinking losing to Oregon at home and at USC would be it's the just, obvious ones. I mean, yeah. But the Pac-12, maybe you get one of those wins and someone else takes you down. Yeah, I think uh, any. I don't think the Cats can beat them, but I think if things break right, the other three teams could. I'm not talking about SC, obviously. I'm talking about the other three teams. ASU, UCLA, and Colorado. I think that they would have, it wouldn't be outrageous if those three teams, one of those teams, now if they lost to two or three, obviously that would be outrageous, and I wouldn't expect that under any circumstance unless they had massive injury. But the Pac 12 being what it is in the South, I think those three teams, those three teams are capable in any given game of beating somebody. Uh, whether it's you or not remains to be seen. I think the Utes have done the last well, I could throw out last year, but certainly the year before losing only SC. Uh, you know that that that's a very very good season. So they've they've taken care of business. Arizona's the only lock in your mind. Oregon State and Washington State, obviously in the other division. I was talking about the South. Yeah, but in the other division, are those locks? Uh, say again, Washington State, Oregon State? Washington State is at home. It's a conference opener on September 25th. Oregon State is coming up in late October, the 23rd. And it's up there. I would there. be surprised yeah. if the, uh, and that's probably a late game, but I'd pro- I'd be surprised. I'd be more surprised if they lost to those two teams as opposed to anybody save Arizona in the South. No, I think they've got a very good chance to beat those other three teams and SC I'd probably put as a toss-up right now uh, subject to change when we get there but right now maybe SC 60-40 Get a with those odds yeah today 60-40 going to USC that, that could change it could be 80-20 or something I don't, who conference knows? did give them a bye week to get ready so whatever advantages right. you need but they were still two months away mm-hmm. we are so it's a long time. All, almost to the day. Yeah. And then we also had the question of the day. Alabama is number one in the coaches poll, followed by Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. No surprise. 
How boring and predictable is this? And uh, Jason went with, it's sad. Sad? It's not sad to me because you have to pay to get what you want. And those schools pay. Our schools don't. Phil Knight does. (laughs) And subsequently... Oregon's profile has raised dramatically. Yeah. I mean, the way we talk about Arizona now, Oregon was worse than that in the 70s and 80s. Arizona's had big years in the last 10 years. But you, know, you sit there at Oregon in 1985, they had not had a big year in the last 10 years. But Phil Knight showed up with the money and uh, stuff started changing. Yeah. And now they've been on a 25, almost 30-year run. So they pay for what they get, and our schools in the conference don't. And the fans don't. They talk a good game, but they're... I've been to all these places, man, and my conference doesn't compare. It's good. It's good enough for me, but... But they're not writing the checks the people are writing in the Big Ten and the SEC. And when you're gathering on Wednesdays to tailgate with the mobile homes, and I've been on the road with Utah many times over, BYU many times over. I was on the road once with Utah basketball playing at Kentucky on a Friday, and Saturday was Kentucky, Tennessee. And we're staying at the local Marriott there in, uh, what's Kentucky's town? Lexington? Uh Uh-huh. And oh my goodness, the (laughs) orange. I mean, literally the whole friggin' hotel. And I had one room that I had booked months in advance, and it was unlike anything that I had seen. And I mean, it was a party time. And that was when Tennessee, they've struggled a little bit here, but they were really good then. And the amount of money, interest, and all that stuff, it just pales in comparison. I think we have it in far more perspective, but maybe you don't need perspective when it yeah, comes to that winning. Healthy, that healthy perspective, well, that perspective is healthy, but it doesn't help you win. The overwhelming all-in. You look at the top 10 athletic budgets, and, and granted some of the private schools aren't in this list because their numbers aren't as available. Can't do the Freedom of Information Act and request stuff. But the top 10 schools... Nobody from the Pac-12. Now USC oh, financially? is financially. Financially, yeah. yeah. Texas is number one at two hundred twenty-three million. There's fifteen, and these numbers are like three years old. But with the pandemic, maybe that's a little more accurate. Uh, at that point, there were fifteen schools with a budget of one hundred fifty million bucks, and none of them were in the Pac-12. But yet, interestingly, on all those other sports, the Pac-12 cleans up. I saw a thing that. The Pac-12 had well over 100 representatives that won medals in the Olympics in one the sport or another. The Pac-12 was a country. I yeah. saw it on Twitter all the yeah, time. They're yeah. updating it every day. Oh, okay. If the Pac-12 yeah. is a country, yeah. they would have been second in medal total behind the U.S. in front of China. But that's not what these schools are spending all the money on. They got their ways know, of I'm getting saying, around the Title IX. I, I get but that, but we into still football. dominate. Yeah, right. The SEC plays fewer sports but they want to win in every single one of them. And so they've gotten very good in football, but then they followed it up. They've gotten much better in basketball. They were bad in basketball for a while, but now they're really pretty good. They've gotten very good in baseball, women's gymnastics, women's basketball. They've poured money into those sports. Well, yeah, look at that Baylor coach, Mulkey from uh, Baylor, who went to LSU, right? Yep. Jeez, she got a a fortune. She'd been an institution there in Baylor, and then, yeah. Yeah, It's a multi-million dollar deal. Good for her. Plus, she's a feisty gal, too. 
<laughs> she had attitude to that press conference. <laughs> you don't have to watch a lot. You get to see a clip from that press conference, and it was there. Yeah. But they're not paying her to come in and be golly gee whizzikers. They're paying her to come in and win. Mm-hmm. The uh, the top budgets, the Washington, at this point, this is like, again, like uh, two and a half years ago. Washington, $133 million, number 23 budget. So if you wonder why there's only three Pac-12 teams in the top 25, well, there you go. Oregon at 12 in the coaches' poll. USC at 14. And That's why we have to cheat. 21. Come on. Bringing kids in a pandemic, is that the end of the world here? Yes. We're, we're going to go crazy because we recruited during a pandemic? And, and nobody else recruited in a pandemic. I can guarantee you that. No, <laughs> it didn't happen. They just didn't. Have I can't some even people. say that with a straight face. I just can't. Hey, Arizona State, I mean, you're the one that's taking the fall here. Well, because they had a disgruntled employee turn them in. Right. Yeah, they had a whistleblower. <laughs> Stuff happens, and your guys don't do it. Yeah. And, I, they San recruited during a pandemic. San, wow. San Diego State, there were rumors about them cheating at one point, and Lavelle Edwards said, what do you make of that? I said, I make that they're cheating. <laughs> it's like all these kids are taking the same class from this junior college. They're and, aggressively trying to win. and Right. And then they were doing <laughs> workouts on the beach or getting them running with coaches when they weren't supposed to be with coaches. And, no, brother. And then I hope all that crap goes away. Yeah. You don't care about when they run on the beach. <laughs> no. Who does? Who does, man? <laughs> So what? It's a bunch of dumb rules designed to keep them down. Open it up. Let it go. They, the thing is, now it's not required, but it's just known. Like, you aren't going to know the offense and the defense and the other team schemes and calls if you don't come in and watch the extra film. So we're not going to make you, but you know you're not going to play. It's just understood. Just make sure there's no academic fraud. Someone that they're literally getting for grades yeah. for classwork not done. I think, to me, that's about it. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Feedback of the day is brought to you by Ochre Mountain Pharmacy. Quit spending time sorting pills. Call Ochre Mountain Pharmacy today and have them sort and deliver your custom prescription blister packs free of charge. Call them at 801-252-1000. That's Ochre Mountain Pharmacy. Why did Charlie Brewer transfer to Utah? Well, they'd had a coaching change at Baylor, and the team wasn't nearly as good, and he had one year, and he wants to get the NFL, and he needs to be on a good team and have a good platform. And there's one other reason, PK. Job was open. That too. And there's one other reason, PK. NCAA, uh, Brett McMurphy tweeted out, NCAA Division I Committee on Infractions will release its decision slash penalties at noon Eastern. 10 o'clock Mountain. I don't think that'll affect this year. Regarding Baylor's football program, dating back to when Art Bryles was coach. Jeez, who remembers that? Uh, Funny you should say that. Stuart Mandel tweeting out, It's been five years since the Baylor sexual assault scandal broke. The NCAA case that resulted has been going on so long, most people forgot it was happening. Just got a release from the Committee on Infractions. They'll announce their decision today. Stephen Godfrey, who's another National College football writer, says, And this is the reason why Arizona State should just focus on their season and kick back. Oh, that's only this season. That's five freaking years ago. I know. Ago. I was going to say, you will be living in Sun City by the time <laughs> this thing goes down. You got time. I wonder why he's not worried. Uh, <laughs> we, we brought a few guys on campus during the pandemic. Uh, okay, SMU, you got a partner. I don't, I don't really see it. <laughs> While I was looking for uh, feedback, I came across this, and uh, this is going to upset you greatly. 
BYU is from the Salt Lake Tribune uh, Twitter account. BYU's wide receivers might be the deepest and most experienced position group on the team. Quote, that room is really deep right now. <laughs> Close quote. Quarterback Baylor Romney said Monday. The room. I'm now just going to look for people who use the word room in quotes. They got to bring the extra gonna, chairs. I'm going to read every single one. They got to open up the curtains in the overflow, don't they, Yuck? For the wide receiver room. It's it's so funny. And you know. It's funny how the same words, depending on how they're said, have different connotations. That room is deep, said the quarterback. (laughs) It's getting deep in that room, said the radio show host. Put the waiters on, boys. I saw last, this very last Sunday, I went to one of your churches. My neighbor's kid, who I literally watched grown up. Came back from Norway, and I and he was giving a talk, and I went. And as I was walking in, they were opening up into the gymnasium. So, I yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Absolutely, man. I felt the spirit deep. Joe Ingles came on our show at 9 o'clock and uh, talked quite a bit about Australia, bronze medal, the celebration, the beach vacation. He also brought up the... Uh, the trade rumors that were blown up at his phone, blowing his phone up at one point. It pisses it, him off. It, big time. And it legitimately did. You could hear it in his I voice. texted him, Joe, can you believe this? We cannot let this happen. Go to 1280thezone.com and you can listen to Joe for yourself. Greg, who was listening live, said, I love listening to Joe. As much as players say it's a business to try to keep that mindset, you can tell he was, as we say in Utah, fetching ticked about trade rumors. Aaron says, obviously, Ingles isn't a top 10 NBA player, but if the Jazz trade him, it better be part of a package getting top 10 talent in the deal somehow. Top 5 talent. Absolutely love Joe. He's almost untouchable for me. I'd trade him for Giannis. (laughs) Sorry, Joe. (laughs) You gotta go to Milwaukee. He would understand that, though. (laughs) Giannis and Donovan. Just make the salaries work and whatever you Ah, need to do. Joe's in favor of that. Whatever you need to do to take care of it, uh, Joe, make that would deal. You, would you like Giannis money, Joe? Well, no, he doesn't get Giannis money. The Jazz know. include others. Yeah, but, I mean, they say, oh, the salary cap, this guy's untradeable, that guy's untradeable. We had like 15 guys that were untradeable traded. Not anymore. Yeah. That was that was true. I don't think it was ever true. You don't think it was? No. Guys with those kinds of contracts couldn't move him. The guys had to play out those contracts. No. And now they are. Ewing, I, I was listening to Isola, and he was talking about, he said he heard about that way back when, and they traded Ewing. And that was thought of when he signed that deal to be untradeable, and yet he was still traded. And he listed like three other guys that were in that ballpark back then. Dennis Schroeder last season rejected an $84 million deal from the Lakers because he wanted $120 million. On Tuesday, he signed with Boston for the $5.9 million exception. What are dumb financial decisions you made? Chuck says, too many to count, but none of them left me with $5.9 million. <laughs> Chuck would like a better But that's con- all relative. They live price. in an entirely different world than we do. That's true. All right, we're out of here. The Baylor penalties, the breaking news. Well, Happened in a few minutes. Scotty and Hans will have them. Plus, it's a win tickets Wednesday, so they're going to have uh, concert tickets. You can go see uh, Dirks Bentley on them if you win during their show. That is next right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.